Does the Black Moon Howl? Only for those with an unwavering desire to hear the truth. Access granted. You have been selected for an opportunity. An orientation as a trusted associate, if you will, into the secured, contained, and protected files of the Foundation. SCP Unredacted distributes new files for review, Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, on secure channels on YouTube, Spotify, and scp-unredacted.captivate.fm. Hey there, SCP fans. My name is Grigori Carpin, and this is Simply Creative People the show about SCP creatives, be they authors, artists, or off-site content creators like YouTube and TikTok. We're focused on bridging the gap between various fans and serving as an introduction to different concepts and stories on the wiki. So, many welcomes to all, and let's get started. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome back to Simply Creative People after yet another delay. Uh, this is episode 26. Uh, we just threw this one together, and luckily uh, we got a guest. So my name is Gregory Carpin, author in the wiki, and joins us by my lovely co-host. I'm Harry Blank. I don't have Cook a... Hand I, with I, Harry Blank. I didn't have a clever um, joke about my name this time, so I thought I'd just do the calling card early instead. Nice. And returning- I'm the pause that Harry blanks. There you go. Nice. And returning our guest is Green Wolf. Hello, everyone. It is your favorite recurring villain, Vice President of Gay, two-time third-place contest winner, alleged expert, friend to all cats, and guy who just did a shot of wine. About your shot of out. wine? Yes, a shot of wine. Holy shit, man! You did like. I did no preparation for my intro, and, and you like, carried the ball across the line for us. Yes. I just re-listened to, not that long ago, uh, the UIU episode, and I, and I can't believe I completely forgot your, your list of <laughs> accomplishments. Different list this time. Okay, yes, no, I noticed, I noticed. Yeah. Uh, High quality. So, yeah, so we're here to talk about <clears throat> a subject near and dear to your heart, uh, GW. Um, Prometheus Labs, which is, it wasn't originally tied in, but is now pretty strongly tied in with Third Law, so, uh, you seemed like a perfect guest. Yeah, that's how we happened. (laughs) Yeah, luckily you (laughs) saw that we were going to do it, because we, we're doing a horror episode with Distron, hopefully this weekend, uh, and it just kind of kept getting delayed for, you know, nobody's fault, and I wanted, you know, it had been a few weeks, and I wanted to get something else out, um, and so we just kind of decided to throw this one together, just being me and Harry thing, but luckily, DW, you're available, and this is going to be good. Well, you know, it's the perfect time for it, because I was last here about a year ago. I know, I did just look that up. Yeah, one year last week. 
And, uh, you know, you know I've always wanted to be a recurring guest, so... Well, you're gonna be again, at the very least, at least one more time. Uh, hopefully more than that. Um, the only other people we've had on more than once is Plague, I think, right? Did we have, uh, was it the Humor and the Connex? Yeah, Plague came on... What did he do? What was yeah, that one? Yeah, uh, Plague was on... I think it was, yeah, it was the, the, yeah, it was the cake, it was for the 7K, the ones that we thought deserved more attention. Right. I think, I think so. <clears throat> and we're going to do another one with him pretty soon, probably in oh, one episode, because a lot of people have been asking about I ones. can't believe we have so many episodes that I now can't remember which ones were which. That's I know, it's pretty great. Uh, we've been doing this for a while, even though there's been a few delays here and there. Uh, you know, a year in, we're going strong. Yeah, it's, uh, it's 26, I think. So that's yep. one of the things about. Yeah, sometimes it's like three or four in a month, and sometimes it's not one for six weeks. <laughs> oh, well. Um, working full-time makes it hard, honestly, to keep up the energy for creative stuff. We're just trying to keep everybody on their toes. That's right. Uh, never fun. never rely on anything. Always be self-reliant for your entertainment. Yes, I am deeply unreliable. Yeah, that uh, the final bit of the Demiclid series, that will happen eventually. Probably. <laughs> Hey, I've got a series that's now been going for three years uh, that I've almost finished. And we've got a series that we uh, haven't finished as well. Oh, God, I know. <laughs> I haven't. I've been so... His won't be done. <laughs> yeah, it will. It will. But It was a title joke, Gregory. No, no, I know. I just want to <laughs> reassure people. No, it will. It. Um, we definitely want to get back to it. And we ended it on a good pause, I thought. That's true. Um, but... Yeah, I've been feeling, like, remarkably not creatively motivated. Like, you know, I get off of work and I just kind of decide, you know, I'm trying this PlayStation. <laughs> I just don't, I don't know why, and I've really got to kick it back in the gear, because I don't think I've posted an article since the anthology. Sp sporadically creative people. That's right, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this this counts. Uh, we've 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 been keeping out, getting episodes out, and this kind of scratches on it, so. Uh, but speaking of, uh, you know, we haven't done a lot of Creative Corner lately, uh, and I thought this would be a good subject, uh, this GOI would be a good subject, mm, so many of them are, about collaboration, because uh, GW, when you first came in to this GOI, this was already kind of, uh, I don't know, musty a bit, right? It hadn't really been touched that much, and then you kind of, you know, along with others, reinvigorated it, I would say, by tying it to Third Law? Yeah, I mean, the original intention of Third Law actually was that it was going to be a Prometheus Labs-focused canon, sort of like how the GOC case files were, what Club did with the GOC, where it was both a canon and also, like, the re reinvigorating the GOC, making it more than just destroy, destroy, destroy. Now, look, hey, they've got magic tech and wizards, and they do all these cool things, and look, they're competent, you know? Uh, and sort of what I also tried to do with the UIU a little bit, where taking an old GOI that has kind of been written a little bit weakly, has been given the idiot ball, and spicing them up, making them a bit more competent, making them a serious contender. Yeah, that's one of the, I think, I mean, there's so many great things about the community, but one of the great things I think about the way the wiki works is you can take, you can go back and look at things that haven't been touched. You know, we were just talking about our series, Harry's and my series. I mean, 093 is very popular, but really hasn't been touched that much. And there's so much room for expansion. And it's true of so many different things. I mean, 
Fuck, I did a Daylight Hub, and I am not the person who created the Daylight. It's a good I hub. I mean, you can... Thank you. Um, I, uh... I really like the fact that, you know, you can go back and look at this thing that maybe isn't as popular now, uh, but had a lot of potential, and you can, like, reinvigorate it. I mean, that's why that contest for for uh, Can Rencon was so much fun and, and got me, I think, really, really involved in the site. I think before that, I was kind of doing my own thing. But, uh, yeah, so I thought I we could talk about uh, the way that we handle, you know, collaboration. Uh, because I think it's really different for everybody else. Uh, I, people are always just like, oh, let's let's write this together. And it's, when you actually sit down to do that, you realize, you know, actually, you've got to figure that out. It can't just kind of go the way you normally write because uh, everybody writes a little differently. Um, so I thought we've all done quite a bit of collaboration. I thought we could talk a bit about how we go through that process. Yeah. Um, for me, um, I am unsurprisingly kind of a control freak mm -hmm. uh, that's not to say i always think i have the best ideas but i usually either want to take the first crack at a draft and have my co-author then come in you know after we've done the ideation phase um come in and then either rewrite parts of it or you know give suggestions or whatever or the opposite um i'm fine either way trying to do things where you actually write different pieces of an article I've always found that to be a bit maddening because I don't know what the other person's going to write. Yeah, that could be difficult. Um, that's actually what uh, Nico and Rounder and I just did for the international collaboration contest okay. that's ongoing right now. We wrote one scene at a time and just waited for the other one to be done. And that's not how I've done most of the stuff that I've, I've worked on. Most of the stuff that I've collaborated with, I've it, it's composed of fairly separate things that all tie into one thing right when you and i wrote uh and are still writing his will be done um we, we each write the whole tale and then the other one will just touch it up a little and then that one's we call it co-authored um but like one's you and then I mean, one's they me, are and one's you and then one's me. they are because they're all we share the ideas and we come up with the ideas together but they're primarily written by either you or yeah. me um whereas with this collaborative one we we practically did it exquisite corpse style where you write the one section and then I read it and go okay and I write mine and then Randa reads it and goes alright and then writes his and it actually worked out really well um, it did it's a good article I liked it a lot it was fun um, but yeah I, I most of the collaborations I've done are kind of like what you're describing yeah I, I you know I mean I, I completely respect people that are able to like genuinely write things together um, yeah it's cool but the way that but I don't understand how it works. <laughs> Everybody's a bit of a control freak. Yeah. GW, how about you? How how have you kind of faced it? I mean, you know, in different... There are different ways of doing things, obviously. You don't always have to do it the same, but... Um, so my experience is... I've had a few different collaborative experiences, both in, like, contests and outside of contests, and it always tends towards one of two extremes. There's either very regimented, very organized, we've planned things out, and then did not follow the plan very well, or it's been complete <laughs> absolute chaos from the beginning. And um, yeah. so when I've been in contest teams, we try to be, you know, we try to lay out a game plan initially and follow that. And if we're writing an, art right. an article like that, that needs co-authors for contest requirements, we'll outline the sections and stuff, and then each person will work on whatever section appeals to them and will kind of write towards the middle and, you know, do an edit pass. 
Um, this is also how I wrote uh, When Parallel Lines Diverge with Conwell. We both kind of wrote two separate tales and like spliced them right. together where we knew that they were going to be a certain number of scenes and uh, Conwell wrote his part first, which made mine a bit easier because then I was able to write my scenes to parallel you know, sure. the themes and you know of his uh, with something <clears throat> like New Atlantis, which I did with Chu. Uh, that was literally just, we had an idea and we both just started throwing stuff at the board and just, it was almost a contest to see what, what we could write to make the other person laugh, which is always a yes. great way to write. Art in art. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, you know, it's how we get stuff like Atlantean American, Megan McCain and, yeah. <laughs> so I legitimately going back through that, I could not tell you which parts I wrote and which parts she wrote because it was so organic and seamless, but then, you know, nice. so... Yeah, but it definitely yeah. helps to have an outline of some kind to work off of because then you have an idea of what the final article will look like and it makes it a lot easier to work with your co-author and be like, well, I'll write this bit, you write that bit, and you both have an idea of what you're trying to do rather than working at cross purposes. Right, yeah. The, the thing that I always am trying to, and this is even true for when I'm just writing something by myself, is trying to convince people to start thinking about the things they write in a very modular fashion. Um, even if it's all prose, like, you know, a scene can go anywhere you want. It can make it work. Uh, even if you originally thought about it in a different way, if you can create these different pieces of a story the way, you know, that even Conwell did, and then you can mesh it together, you know, like it doesn't, and even if you're writing it for yourself, that way can be really useful. I mean, it's especially effective for, for SCPs, I think, because they have such dedicated yeah. sections. Yeah, yeah. It's, but very very easy to do yeah. with, with SCPs because you can literally do I call it a like proto paragraph where you I just write very short not even full sentences just a handful of words describing the idea right. that I'm trying to convey and I put them in brackets and I slap, slap them into each section so it'll be like containment procedures right things in a box description you know <clears throat> and yeah it's a very good way to write especially if like I do, you sometimes take long breaks between writing sessions and you don't sure. always remember what you were doing. Uh, it's how I I approach uh, writing my book, which started with just, I outlined like what I thought all the chapters were going to be. And then I outlined each chapter and then I like flesh those outlines out into full chapters. And, you know, occasionally you end up in a situation where, oh, this chapter ran way over the word budget. Now it's two chapters. Right. But it totally it. It's very good to think of writing as more modular because it does make it a lot easier to actually write both in distinct sessions and also to do things where you start writing in the middle of the story and then flesh stuff out at either end, you know, to work on the thing that appeals to you at the moment rather than trying to write it entirely chronological. Definitely. Yeah, and also it's really useful for, like, different tonal uh, styles because oftentimes, especially in the SCP, but certainly in prose as well, you know, different sections can be going for different things. Um, unless you're Harry and you just want to be funny. Mm. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you are. It is funny, so it's, it's, it works. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, like, especially with SCPs, because, you know, you could have a history section or a discovery section or whatever, and that's going to be a very different field than, you know, an exploration log or whatever, you know, interviews or something. Um, but that's totally true of prose as well, and the thing that it really woke me up, I mean, because when I first started writing, I was doing things in a very annoying kind of A to B sort of way, um, was, 
you know, you can get locked in if you don't intentionally create sections for yourself, whether that's with chapter breaks or just scene breaks. Um, if you don't consider them different pieces of a whole that you can then rearrange, your pacing, you know, if it doesn't work and you feel locked in, like you, you're going to like have a mild panic attack to figure out how you're going to make it work. Right. Um, I remember getting early crit and just being like, what? I don't know how to deal with it. You know, I'm just kind of shaking. <laughs> uh, and now it's and you know and how i figured out how to write that first scp was just here are these different very sections and then just figuring out okay well does it work better if actually the reveal is not until the end or if it's in the middle or you know whatever um it it can help so many different ways i mean and and that also can be true of collaboration obviously um you know i haven't done a lot of that but you know, that's kind of how we did 6,500 mm -hmm. was, you know, we, we had a very loose, you know, we didn't even have an outline. We had a very loose idea about each of the concepts are. Yeah. I mean, we really talked about the concept a lot, which helped. Um, but what it came like, to our individual stories. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, long, I mean, I, th I think we had like a solid week of like everybody talking each other's ears off um, before we got writing and then fitting those things together and, you know, thank God place did such an amazing job with the CSS. Yeah. Um, and also giving us the second direction for the second half, which was, <laughs> yeah, which was, yeah. which was, would have been very difficult to think of what to do. And, uh, and it all worked yeah. so well. And not backing down on it either, even though I was like, this is a terrible idea. Yeah, that was, not do it. And now it was so amazing. You, had, you and Aetheris were both like, I don't yeah. and I think we might just ruin this if we wrote another half to it. And he was convinced. Look it up. He convinced us to do it, and he was right. It's much better. The second second half is... It, he just, it, it, was, it was so smart because he just kept talking until I had an idea. <laughs> like, until I... That's I, what you and, then, and then I was like... And then I was like, oh, God damn, fine, fine. Now I have to write this. <laughs> just keep talking until he thinks of how he might write something for it. And then it's, you've got him. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, anyway. Um, but I mean, th I think that's really useful. A lot of people will, you know, I don't I don't know why I've become that person. Maybe because I'm so active and people know how to get in contact with me. But I get questions all the time. How do I start a GOI? And it's just like, well, you know, look at the articles listed on the victim hub like how many of them are just by me yeah there are a few of them quite a few of them but a lot of them have co-authors um and the best way to get people interested is you know throw out an idea and then be like hey you want to write this with me um and thinking about how that can work ahead of time is really good you know i mean a lot of times people will come to me with an idea you want to write this with me and it's like well i, I will uh what i want you to do if i don't have time is you write something you know even if it's bad uh, and then give it to me, and then, you know, we'll see about making it work. Or the opposite. Um, yeah, because yeah. a lot of collaboration ideas end up being, we should write something together, and then you say yes, and then a few months later they say, we should still write something together, and you say <laughs> yeah. yes. Like, I mean, that is, that's what happens when, when you don't actually take a direction and one person doesn't start, is you both just go, we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I try to be really clear about the ones where I'm like, hey, I'm taking the first crack at this, so if there's any delays, it's on me. Um, or you take the first crack at it, and then I will see about, especially with victim, you know, if it's not my idea and you want me to make it sound victim, no problem. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I can do that. I don't know why I've been able to do that, but I, I can do it pr for pretty much everything. And that's basically how both of the game show things worked, was the Varium had kind of gate because i was like i don't watch game shows i've always hated game shows 
I actually don't even know how they go because <laughs> I just hated being in the room when my parents were watching Wheel of Fortune or whatever. Oh, Dentures are um, fast. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying I don't like them. Um, I've always just been interested in fate. Like, I don't watch any reality TV. Like, I'm just interested in characters. Family Feud is, like, the only thing keeping my household together. <laughs> That's an amazing sentence. <laughs> Look, Steve yeah, Harvey, a lot. He's, he's a national treasure. Uh, he's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway... Uh, and, and, and Vivarium kind of was like, well, let me, I'll write down the skeleton of what a game show looks like. And you just kind of give it the flavor. And so Vivarium figured out what the games would be. You know, I didn't always use all the ideas, but uh, figured out what the games would be and roughly the structure uh, of the actual show. And then I kind of went in and made Kincaid beat Kincaid. Right. Well, that's the thing is when you're glad, it's, a, it's an obvious, even stupidly obvious but I like saying these stupidly obvious things in these conversations because that's all I got to add. Um, you, you're all experts in different things. Everybody's got a different strength, and yeah. you just let the person who's the most likely to get that thing nailed do it, and uh, if somebody knows something that you don't, you can just let them handle that part, which is the nice thing about collaboration because when you're doing it on your own, you have to do it on your own. Yeah, the thing about, especially with Victim, is like trying to explain to people why something sounds like Victim or it doesn't. It's really hard. Yep, because it sounds like that because you're used to doing it. You know how to do it. Right. Yeah, and it's, you know, those who can do and those who can't teach, right? But, I mean, I, I don't think that's universally true, but I genuinely have a hard time, like, explaining. Well, that no, that's too extreme. Why would they do that? That's that's horrible. That's just, you know, torture porn. Uh, but, you know, I could do it, and it'll make perfect sense to me because it's got a, a, a tonal, like, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek feeling to it. When you've done enough of it, you just you know how it works. Um, which, which I've, I mean, that's the principle behind the uh, the curation the third law does with the, with your brain trust. Basically, you all know how that stuff yeah. works implicitly and through experience, and you can guide yeah, people and to do it. That's kind of a good example of how you can have collaboration that isn't fully collaboration. There have been a couple different instances where I've had people approach me like, "Hey, I'm going to co-author an article," and I kind of just kind of coach them through it like uh the original mm -hmm. uh last time I, we were on we talked about the um oh it was the ui i can't remember the name of it now for the life of me but it was nrx article about the uiu drug investigation in three four oh yeah, yeah the talking frog yeah gets... and that was that was originally supposed to be a, a you know co-authored and i contributed yeah, a lot to the brainstorming of it and a lot to the editing of it but i didn't really i think i wrote like sure section for it but it was mostly nrx writing and i just helped Get, get him started and helped him polish it up and that's a different type of collaboration but it's still it is still collaboration and i think probably i could have like pushed for a co-author credit but i didn't i wasn't super like sure I, I didn't need it and um there's a big aspect of that with the brain trust in third law which is the idea is that like yeah you get two other contributors to like look at your thing and you know they'll be like yeah so like here's the lore here's how you can make it fit the tone and the goal is not to turn people away. It is to help people make realize their ideas. You come in and you have an idea and we'll be like, okay, that's a cool idea. Here's how we can make it work. I mean, we had someone come in a, a while back who wanted to do a thing with the Wandsman. And unfortunately, they uh, have not written it. But we spent a long time like working with them being like, okay, like here's how you can like fit this into our existing lore. Here's how we can touch it up and make it like actually work and i would love to see that realized at, at some point but um it's ultimately up to uh i 
Anna? I can't I can't remember the author's name, unfortunately. But um it's uh yeah, it's it's a difficult process sometimes, but it's very worthwhile and it's it's very fun to see people actually be able to realize their ideas. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I mean that that is another aspect of collaboration where sometimes you know we say that word and and it sounds always like oh they did 50 percent and 50 percent no that's not how it works all the time sometimes you just need someone to help polish things up um or make it fit you know like i here i've got this idea but i don't quite feel like i have a good handle on third law as well as you guys can you you know make this make sense uh you know and as long as that's you know a consensual thing uh you get really interesting results um you know, that's what happened with the first victim article was, was this drunk came to me with a very thin idea. Uh, and I wrote something insane. Uh, and then this drunk felt inspired by it and then wrote something else insane to add into it. <laughs> and it became this kind of amalgamation of weird. <laughs> that, um, that type of collaboration where someone has an idea and somebody else just kind of coaches them a little bit on it is also a lot easier, I've realized, for... Mm, authors to have more real life commitments like i do not have a yeah. time to dedicate to the site as i used to and so i i there's so much stuff i would love to write and so much stuff i would love to co-author on but i just don't have the time and so it is for me it has been a, a kind of stepping back into more of a like mentor role and helping other authors realize ideas that they want to see and maybe kind of helping guide them towards like well you know here's an idea i had maybe you can take that and do something with it because i'm not going to totally so yeah i mean it there's it's it's really rewarding like i've seen a bunch of stuff added to no return and and a few victim stuff where that is just somebody came to me with an idea and i was like you run with it i will help help you shape it i will edit it i will you know maybe add a line here and there but this is your thing um and there's something uniquely uh, satisfying about that in a different way than writing something yourself. Um, it's just like, wow, something I did or, you know, did with others inspired this other person I didn't even know to write something, which is just like, fuck, that feels good. It's always executive sure. producer yeah. Grigory Kaparin. <laughs> Kaparin. Kaparin. Yes. Oh, great. <laughs> sorry. Anyway. Carpin? I'm I'm sorry. Yes. It's okay. Yeah, it's Carpin. Yes. I can't remember <laughs> name half the time, so. <laughs> Green Wolf. Oh, there, I, what's the I meant my real name. I, I meant my I, secret yeah, name. I, yes, I know. Yeah, um, um, all yeah. right, but let, let's one more thing. Just, uh, just, yeah. it just occurred to me in, in the top of my head. The funniest uh, kind of collaboration is when you have an idea that isn't really an idea, and you don't really expect it to go anywhere, and you just sort of blurt it out, and it drives somebody else insane, and they're just like, "We have to absolutely do this," and then it becomes a thing. Yes. Yes. Uh, yep. I mean, that's how Misfortune Gorge got made with Sumerian going, just do this. Yes. You was Misfortune and Bavarian and I were like, oh, oh. Did, did you have it? It sounded like you had one in your mind there, GW. Uh, yes. No, that's how New Atlantis ended up happening. Was <laughs> Initially, it was New Atlantis, Kansas, but then Griffin was like, or Chu was like, hey, what if we make it New Atlantis, Arizona? Which was a, a cunning ruse to get me actually in it. Because of course. That is. She knows that I would never, ever, ever turn down an article about Arizona. Right. Got to get that weird state history in there. <laughs> For me, the uh, the one that, that stuck in my mind was, 
I needed a plot device for one of the uh, episodes at the end of a very long tale series, the Time After Time Password series, and the plot device I wanted was pretending that we had a device that would allow you to talk to yourself in the past. <laughs> pretending that we had that device. Because it obviously doesn't actually work. It's a ruse. It's a trick. And I mentioned it to Placeholder. I wanted Placeholder to give me some sort of uh, techno babble about how it could work, and I, I had a funny name for it because uh, it allows you to talk to past versions of yourself and you can collaborate with past versions who are no longer the version who is you, so I made it a there is no canon joke and called it the rise no canon, and I explained it to him, <laughs> and, I made, and I'm like, so like, what would be some techno babble for this? He calls me on Discord, and this is the first time I've ever heard his voice, rants for two hours about how this would be an amazing article <laughs> and how it would actually work if we made this into an SCP, and now we have it, and it's it's one of our more highly rated pieces between the two of us. He just went off. It drove him nuts. He was just like, "Yes, we have to do this. This is fantastic." I'm like, "I, it's not it's not even real in the context of the story. It's just like a thing they're pretending they had. It's like, no, this is how it would work, and this is the story we could tell with it." And he just lost his mind and ranted and raved and ranted and raved. And eventually, I was like, "Yeah, you know, actually, that does sound pretty good." And it did turn out pretty good. <laughs> and it's like a shadow one. It, it was, yeah. It starts out as, as SCP-5956, and when you go to the next iteration, it becomes SCP-001. We consider it a 001 proposal, yeah. But it's not officially because of the way tagging team works. Sorry, DW. Oh, yeah. I, I'm thinking about it, and I realize I've been on the receiving end of this more than once, actually, because uh, Ty Gently did this. The nerd sniped me, if if you'll allow me to borrow a term from <laughs> XKCD and Randall Munro, uh, with the the Damocles series that we did last year where she calls me up and is like teeter cakes and I'm like wait what what do you <laughs> mean and I ended up doing about three or four hours of actual math on pen and paper to work out the freaking like physical properties and parameters of a relativistic starship powered by teeter cakes and that's on me I fell for it but honestly it's a great article and I'm so glad we did it but it was yep. definitely uh yep. Finally, a use for my physics degree. <laughs> You're gonna get so much use for that in in the law. Uh, I hate patents; they're awful. I don't want to deal with them. No, no, totally. I took one class on that and was just like, "Forget this. I'm out." Uh, anyway, all right. Let's uh, let's slip into the actual subject matter. Yeah, it's, this is a uh, transition to Prometheus Labs. That's right. It is. Yeah, patents. Um, Good job. That's that's <laughs> their whole bread and butter. Is cakes in yeah. starships. Um, so I'm going to read a little bit from the hub, and then I would like some insight from yourself, TW, about uh, you know Four. how this fits into third law, but then also kind of what you were thinking when you kind of stepped into it as well. Uh, so Prometheus Labs Incorporated was a private, for-profit conglomerate that was around, based around scientific research and development, founded in 1892 company focused exclusively on researching and developing anomalous technology for the commercial and private sale. Pri prior to the events of Data Expunged in 1998, Prometheus Labs was considered to be one of the most prolific competitors of the foundation, and had a large public profile as a purveyor of high-quality electronic, medical, pharmaceutical, automotive, optical, and industrial goods produced from anomalous research. Prometheus Labs also had classified contracts with various worldwide militaries, primarily in the United States, and developed numerous specialized techni technologies for these groups aimed at enhancing their military capabilities, such as, and then that's redacted. Um, 
Facilities focused on more grounded science, but also things like they had a facility in the Marianas Trench focused on, quote, planetary engineering, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> gotta have um, Everybody's gotta have one. Right. And most of the way that we see it on the wiki is the, the foundation having stepped in and taken, either taken things from them or found things that were developed, uh, derived from their technology. Because back in the day, they worked with most of the major GOIs at some point. On the hub, there's like a whole list of them. But they were neither openly antagonistic or helpful to the Foundation, but at some point uh, during whatever happened in a data expunge in 1998, the Foundation kind of stepped in and took over, uh, headhunting a bunch of their staff and taking as much of their stuff as they could possibly get. But they were sure that other uh, GOIs stepped in and stole a bunch of tech. And we see that throughout, uh, through either leftover documents or um, SCPs that were like stamped from Ethia's labs. Uh, because they've got roughly a hundred years of weird shit, uh, which is fun. Um, the, what I thought was really cool. And you picked a bunch of those CW, the GOI documents are probably one of my favorites now, I would say, um, they are patterned after grant requests. I mean, that's even how they're titled. Uh, and they start off with like a problem and then solution. And then my favorite part of course, is always the, uh, the, the problems later on how what difficulties are we gonna have and those are always where I feel like the best parts are yes which is um, which is part of the brilliance of it is that the the uh, foreseeing problems section of it is right at the end so that's where you can't always the, the crazy rights yeah um the help was posted by a random day in June of 2014 uh a handsome flurry of activity but uh then later on uh kind of got a reinvigoration because it got brought into third law. Uh, as we've already intimated. Uh, so, GW, go for it. Tell us a little bit about when you first started, like, wrapping that into Third Law and kind of what you think about the GOI in general. So, it's important to note that Prometheus Labs, the, the hub there, is not within Third Law itself. And Third Law, wh while there's been a back and right. forth on the influences there, Third Law's version of Prometheus Labs is still probably a little bit shy of the mainstream, although the mainstream is now largely informed by Third Law's depiction. Yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, Prometheus Lab was created by Dr. Gears originally, uh, and was like uh -huh. the third group of interest ever created. Uh, I cannot name the article it appeared in, but this is information that I've received from multiple different sources. Uh, and initially, it was pretty much just an aperture science, like with the serial numbers totally. filed off. The idea right. that they right kooky mad scientists who would do all these weird st things and it would blow up in their faces and the foundation would have to step in to clean it up and that kind of sucks because it's a very one note characterization and there's not a lot you can do with it past the first couple articles it yeah. doesn't last very long and it doesn't make a lot of sense if you're going for a more realistic depiction like there's a reason there are not actual mad scientists in the world and it's because there are so many steps in the way of actually get you have to do actual real science before you can do <laughs> mad science right. you know you have right. to do useful things before they'll be like and this is my proposal to carve out a new panama canal with nuclear weapons like okay edward teller i see what you're up to <laughs> thank you but um the uh so ard was involved uh was captain to the group of interest uh it was back in 2014 when they had the group of interest contest ARD mm -hmm. captains the Prometheus Labs team, and that's where the hub comes from and where the format comes from, and ARD is 
has similar thoughts on this as I do, which is that, you know, Prometheus needs to be more serious, they need to actually be competent, they need to do things that succeed, they, they need to actually be a serious player. And so that was already, the tide was already shifting back in 2014 against the sort of one-note, Cave Johnson-esque, oh, we did a thing and it blew up because we don't know health and safety protocols. <laughs> right. Right. So, and there's some really good stuff that came out of that period, but it is definitely, definitely an older period in the wiki's history. Yeah, and we'll see that because the first couple articles we're going to talk about are from the earlier uh, period, um, and, and they work really well. But you know, I think, like you were saying, that it maybe wouldn't have as much space to grow. Yeah, uh, because how many mad science projects are you really going to do that are going to be just, uh, oh, look at this crazy thing that got fucked up? You uh, can only blow up your research facility a few <laughs> times before you don't have any research left that you can do. Right. Oh, the mad science was transformed these people into something oh crazy, and it's just like, well, we've got a lot of that. You <laughs> could almost not even find an old GOI where all the early articles aren't. These guys do this weird specific thing and fuck it up all the time. Like it's always and fuck it up all the time. This the chaos insurgency attacks the foundation, but they fuck it up all the time. Doctor Wondertainment makes toys, but they fuck it up all the time. Marshall Carter Dark who? makes make uh, boutique. Uh, paranormal stuff but it fucks up all the time <laughs> the goc like tries to destroy the stuff but they fuck up all the time sorry i kind of like the um meta explanation of the reason why we have these depictions of the goi at look holding the idiot ball like this is because it is internal foundation propaganda to yes towards their employees sure. and that what we're seeing later on is more well here's actually what happened right we're seeing like higher level clearance stuff uh, it's, yes. I mean, that fits so many of them, and it fits the GOC. Uh, and the UIU. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the, all of the things that I did with the UIU to try and make them more serious and more of an actual player were all things that I did with Prometheus first. And right. so sure. the Group of Interest Contest is in 2014. I joined the site in 2015, and there is the, the uh, MTF contest in January of 2016. So I go to ARD... And I've already been writing Prometheus lab stuff because at the time I'm doing a, a degree in physics. I'm really into physics and science and Prometheus labs. I, I love the idea of it. And it was uh, Twisted Gears had suggested to me that I write a Prometheus labs article. Uh, and so I did that. And that ended up being one of the first GOI formats that we're going to look at here. And so when the MTF contest rolls around, I go to ARD, and I'm like, hey, we should do something that's focused on Prometheus Labs. And so we recruited Ty Gently and Sir Pudding, and we did the Samsara series, which is about this U this project that the Foundation took over from Prometheus Labs. You know, I think everybody is probably a little bit familiar with Samsara at this point. The idea Pretty much everybody. Like, literally hundreds of thousands force. of people. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the mobile task force where it's composed of the, the four individuals who are just regenerating clones, basically. Like, if they die, they can be regrown from a backup. Yeah, and cyborgs. They always yeah. remind me of, like, fucking Cable or something. Yeah, because <laughs> if if you can always regrow them, there's no reason not to test dangerous experimental paratech on them. Right. Yeah. Important note, though, there is no continuity of experience. Like, if they die, then they, like, they don't remember dying. They, like, revert back to the last backup state. So right. they lose that. That, that, that just makes... Yeah. That just makes sense. Yeah. There'd be a lot of trauma involved. Yes. 
Yeah. And that ended up becoming the core of third law, um, because then we use those articles as the basis for, like, the first few articles in the canon. Um, and the canon has since evolved beyond that, but that was our initial idea, was to do a Prometheus Labs-focused canon. So. That's cool. That's, I didn't realize this was kind of the, the, the start of third law. That makes a lot of sense, uh, honestly, because of the way that these uh, grant proposals are written and then later on how kind of established the systems are in third law uh-huh. um, it's one of the few things on the site where you guys do these very in-depth uh, explanations of things and I'm not bored yeah I'm, I'm always left a little bit floored by the, the detail yeah. and the fact that 100%. They're, they're always just inside my ability to understand what you're trying to say yeah. it just like, like it's, it's, it's crazy it's and I can understand it and it's and it's and it's got a bunch of like esoteric sort of uh, concepts and, and 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 vocabulary, but it's like okay, I, I get what they're saying. Uh, you know, doodad does this. All right, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's also crazy. It's like the clinical pros of an SCP, but taken up to eleven because the stuff being described is is crazier because it's things that they're definitely not supposed to be doing that they are proposing to do. <laughs> My favorite thing, and I don't know if this is literally everything but almost everything i've read that's connected to third law there's this level of um if you were to take away the clinical pros or descriptions of the techno babble it would be utterly ridiculous like the one with the later <laughs> about about exercising demons from a satellite yes. I mean, it's just like it's just <laughs> it's just like wait what the fuck's this article about like it took a second to like hit oh that's dumb but like in the best way like, fabulous the idea is taken very very seriously Yes, yes. yes. Try to instill in people who are the one they're writing third law for the first time is to remember that in universe they don't know that there is any other option or any other way. Like this is real life to them and that so they are going to treat it like we're going to treat nuclear weapons or you know, there's some wild stuff that exists in real life. Quantum mechanics is insane, but you know, well, we just oh my god. We just deal with it. Right. Yeah, yeah we deal with it by me ignoring it. What's <laughs> <laughs> up? Every time I see a new headline about quantum mechanics, I'm like, oh, I don't, uh, stop it. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Uh, well, let's let's go through some of these articles. Uh, and these are the first couple that we that I picked out um, are from the earlier stuff because I wanted to kind of get a feel for where it started. So the first one is SCP-1914 uh, by SMAPD. It's good to see people used to used to snipe numbers for um and specific references even back then it's good very fitting for this it's a very good 1914 Uh, article yeah uh called refurbished infantry personnel um and basically this is pretty like on its surface it's a pretty straightforward idea you know soldier gets really desperately distraught you know hurt uh and the prometheus labs comes in and says we can rebuild him we can make him better uh but you know he's not better (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is what six million dollar man would actually. This is what the six million dollars yes. actually get you. Right. Would you get you a guy who just his life is fucking hell? Six hundred thousand yeah, pound man, British. Yeah, man. The, the, with yes. would they get to yes. the point where like they realize that this project really doesn't have legs because they want to make like bulletproof soldiers, and uh, to do that they wouldn't be mobile, and it's like, oh well, I guess this is a waste of time. But before they get to that point, first of all, there were a lot of other people that got modified that died apparently, um, but this person somehow survived it all, including most of his skin has been replaced with leather, like eighty three percent, I think. Yeah. Uh, 
His skeletal system has significantly been augmented with like steel and latex. His muscles have been replaced with automotive pistons. He's got a diesel tank mounted to his back that feeds into uh, a compact two-stroke diesel engine, which is like somewhere in his torso. He's got a car battery and a radiator. Um, the car battery, the car battery is to, is to do the same thing that your computer's internal battery does, where it prevents it from forgetting what right. it is. The car battery's purpose is when the engine's off, your brain won't die. The battery, sh the, the, car, the engine charges the car battery, and the car battery keeps your brain going when they turn your engine off. It's so horrific. Yeah, I mean, he still has to eat, but when the engine like needs fuel or it's been shut off, then he kind of goes into this weird torpor-like state. Um, uh, and yeah, like he was seriously injured and in, I forget if they even mentioned the battle. Uh, and basically the doctors had said, you know, you, nothing we can do. You're going to die. Uh, and previous life just comes in, suggests they take him off their hands and there he goes. Uh, but my favorite part about it is they, you know, the, the interview is pretty clear that he doesn't know how much time has passed. We're not really sure exactly when the article was written, but certainly it's in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, because it's after Prometheus Labs is defunct. Um, and he still thinks that maybe the World War One is still going. Yep. <laughs> and even like the interview ends with him asking, "Well, wait, how have we won yet? Did the war? How'd the war go?" Um, good news, but <laughs> good news, we did uh, <laughs> a while ago. Um, but my honestly favorite part about it is that after they decide to shut down the program because this isn't really going to yep. get the results they want, they put this guy in a glass box where he really can't see, he can kind of see what's going on outside, but not really. And he's just on display, probably in the lobby of one yep. of their facilities. Yep, he's one, uh, he's one of their, like, here's our here's an example of our cool shit things in the lobby. And when they, he asked if I could get let out, they were like, no. Uh, and why they kept why they kept him going was because they wanted, they just wanted to see, none of the other ones lasted very long. We wanted to see how long you keep going for. <laughs> so horrible. just like just yeah just callous indifference uh to this human being who's now mostly a diesel uh truck <laughs> and my favorite part is the description uh because you think oh he's been augmented he's like this you know cyborg and like how how like inflexible his joints are and how slow he moves it's like 0.5 kilometers an hour uh and like he can't really turn his head and all it's like well you'd be totally useless as a soldier he needs a cane to get around right uh, poor bastard. There's a great description of of this in the comments, which is RoboCop, but before they had the right technology, uh, Jurandi Cop. <laughs> yeah, I love. I you know I don't know Smapty that well. We've talked a few times, um, but like I I love that the concept was clearly what if we made a cyborg, but like a solid hundred years before the technology was even feasible. So just like diesel engines and fucking, you know, leather for skin, just like ridiculous. Smapty's very good at anomalous humanoids. Yeah, absolutely. But this one is definitely kind of in that old style. Um, yeah, it's a series two. So. It's not, yeah, and I mean, it's not really much of a narrative, but they've got a lot of good, like, you know, the horrors of war, the horrors of science on, you know, let's just see if we can make it work. Yeah. Uh, you know, poor bastard was made mostly of metal, and they just kept him in a box for decades because they wanted to see how long he'd keep going. Yeah, this this is honestly not even like wouldn't even make the top ten of like the worst things military medicine has done to people for oh, just for shits oh. and giggles. Right, it's exactly. Um, but it's good body horror, and I always like that. Um, 
it's like Tetsuo the Iron Man, but honestly a little worse. Uh, then we have SCP-1610 by Mars Lifeform, uh, which is titled Testing May Continue. Uh, and this one's another humanoid, but it's actually pretty different in the sense that it's a series of identical there's like four designations but they're all the only reason they're designations is because they look like different people uh these are a bunch of like kind of brain dead clones basically um and then an anomalous liquid which the foundation is unclear what it does but when anyone is submerged in it uh then they will become comatose and disable their higher brain functions which lasts like 30-ish minutes after they take them out but six instances of the brain dead clones will just kind of pop into existence <laughs> nearby. Um, they heal at a rapid rate unless the damage would be lethal. <laughs> and if the damage would be lethal, they start because they don't talk usually. Uh, they start having various vocalizations repeated over and over again in a very loud sort of way. And um, some of these are just hilarious. They're dark as hell. Um, some real simple like test failed, results unacceptable, repair test subject. You know, abort testing, stimulus is lethal, but it kind of keeps getting weirder where the, as they keep going, they keep programming them to say something else. Like, we're almost there. Keep testing. You're doing great. This is somebody who has a dead, like a lethal piece of damage. Or it's okay. I'm not hurting. It's for the best. We're helping so many people. So this is all just a really horrific way of showing how you could make like an endless like us. Uh, supply of test subjects for like fucked up science stuff yes this was like like prometheus saw the d-class and went hold my beer i know a way to do this worse <laughs> and, and the reason that the the thing i love about it is the reasoning behind why the uh the 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 notifications that these clones give you that the testing has to stop because they would have been killed by whatever you're testing them with the, the the reason that it keeps changing what they say is they keep programming them to say things that will make the researchers stop having so much of a horrible time dealing with it because the researchers start finding this absolutely morally abhorrent and they can't stand it and they're so upset so they're like okay well how about if we do something to the clone that would normally kill a human being we have it tell the researcher it's okay and that they're not doing a horrible human um, sacrifice experiment just make them feel better and the researchers researchers are universally like this isn't better it's not better it's when so the when I kill the thing and it tells me it's not my fault this is worse <laughs> yeah one of the notes is it, from the one of the researchers it crossed the line when they programmed in the phrase I want it to die yeah <laughs> it's okay feel, feel good about it don't worry about it I, it's fine I'm having the weirdest experience with this because I hadn't read this article before today and this is so they, there's going to be another article we come across later that it kind of tackles the same subject from a different angle and i need to like corner ard later and ask him if he knew about this article when he wrote it because this is this is the eight almost it's it's more of a like horrific take on them rather than a like optimistic take although the ANAs are more of a like deep uh well I'll get into this more when we get to that, but there, there's thematic differences between these articles. But this is very much what I would expect from old Prometheus. It's a very aperture style article where, you know, what if we put the brain of my secretary into the computer? Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that, that there's a, there's an element of that to the ending of it as well, which yeah. Yeah. Uh, they even like, yeah mention like replication gel and like this this feels very like 
like it was written like immediately after Portal 2 came out almost. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it. I think that it, like Harry was saying, it really makes sense in the sense that like, a lot of people are going to have similar ideas with the yeah. the brain, the brain fuel of the D class. And like yeah. the idea of having a, like an endless list of, you know, it, it, there's a lot of stories that have said, oh, well, D class are actually just clones. Um, <laughs> because you're going to like run into if you're if you're genuinely writing stuff with D class, which mostly I don't, um, you're going to eventually run into like, well, this is ridiculous. Uh, even if you don't think it's morally abhorrent, like it, it's just yeah. where are they yeah. coming from? Yeah, like I I, I haven't um, decided exactly which interpretation I would use for my sense of the SCP Foundation as it appears in On Guard Four Three, but I'm going to eventually, um, and. It's going to have to be something crazy because I'm a maximalist. I consider everything that doesn't directly contradict anything else to have happened. And if all of these articles are real, they're not death row convicts. Fuck off. <laughs> there aren't that yeah. many. There aren't yeah, even there that many are. people. <laughs> yeah, that idea of D-class as being from death row is always being... Just, yeah. It's never been tenable. Like, there's not enough. And also, it is the ethical implications are, to put it bluntly absolutely fucking horrific yep. yeah it's heinous like i mean and the fact i mean again, where it came from in the sense that we you know this site came out of like edgelord early 2000s you know like online writing and like that's you stuff you used to see all the time and it's just part of the dna but you know if you really sit down and think about it like how would this ever work how would any of the research i mean i don't care if some of the researchers feel sociopathic enough to get over it like you're you're going to run into more people than not that aren't fucking superheroes that aren't like saints that are just going to be like, I'm super not comfortable with this. And you know how much time and energy and like money it takes to create a PhD. And then like a very large proportion of them are going to go no. And then then what are you going to do? Erase their minds every couple days whenever they find out about the death row convicts. Like, hey, it's questionable. Not it's somehow not as questionable as this one. This one's got all kinds of um, amazingly, hilariously awful ethics to it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, they're, the D class are, are worse in the sense that these yeah, are established human established yeah. human beings who have lived lives and are now being treated this way. It's just it's it's good that somebody was able to think. Uh, how can I make a sideways, equally abhorrent version of the D class? This is this is this. one where I could see something like this happening in real life if you have a oh, yeah. suitably unethical head researcher and being pushed by and egged on by marketing or management or whatever. Because I mean, we have lots of examples of human testing when they don't have brain dead clones. Yeah, you know. Yeah, let's just—it's not just Nazis. Yeah, no. Uh, although they did a lot of that. <laughs> let's just dump this defoliant agent into the into the village and see what happens. Yeah, the the CIA back in the fifties staged a like actual biological warfare attack on San Francisco with what they thought were benign bacteria, but still like. And they didn't tell anybody they did did it, and uh, people did end up dying because uh, the bacteria were not as benign as they thought they were. But it was still like, hey, that's not a, that's not at all okay. No. Here. Ah, uh, yeah. Hey there, fans of Simply Creative People. We're mostly unsponsored so far, so I figured I would take the time to mention that you can support the show on the show page at anchor.fm slash simplycreativepeople. 
Or if you're so inclined, you can check out Harry or my Ko-Fi pages at ko-fi.com slash harryblink or slash Gregory Carpin author. Things are crazy tough out there. So if you can't afford any financial support, and trust me, we understand, do us a favor and mention the podcast to someone who might enjoy it or spread the word online. If we want to bridge the gap between fans and creators, we've got to get the word out to new fans. In many ways, this show is designed to be appealing to new and old fans of SCP alike, as we can all enjoy some discussion about this thing we love, and we can all learn something new. Heaven knows, I learn something new every week. Thanks so much, and we love you just for listening. Thanks for the support through all these first few months of the podcast. You're the best. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Uh, but on to uh, another uh, abhorrent use of, of human or previously human uh, resources. I love this one. Uh, I love it too. Uh, SCP-2176 by yourself, Green Wolf. Uh, Ghostlight Tap. Um <laughs> Which Sorry. is a brand of anomalous... You cut out a little bit there on my end. TM. Oh, right. Yes. See, uh, you need to whisper TM, though, because that's victim's shtick. Oh, shit, I said victim out loud. VKTM. Ah! <laughs> I'm winning. Anyway, it's a brand... If I start saying niche, I'm going to shoot myself. Oh, God. Yeah, I hate that. Um... Anomalous light bulbs developed by Titan Consumer Appliances Electronics, which was opened by former uh, Prometheus Labs employees in 1989, so roughly right after they got shut down, originally marketed under the name Ghostlight TM. Uh, the anomaly's tungsten filaments are replaced by high-density ectoplasm solution consisting of ectomorphs, and in parentheses, that's ghosts. <laughs> um, uh, that's my edition. Uh, no, not exactly how CP reads, but it's the idea. No. <laughs> Uh, in order to prevent ectoplasm leakage from the bulb, the interior surface is treated with ecto-proof coating. This is absolutely 100% what you're so good at, yeah. GW. Um, yeah. the, uh, also, nice little random note, the ectoplasm is sourced from the factory. Uh, so this is just straight up real people that the factory is, you know, harvested. Yeah, the implication uh, is that like they can get their stuff from various groups. Um, the stuff they get from everybody else isn't like isn't sapient. The stuff they get from the factory universally is. This is just like ghosts that are totally aware they've been turned into light bulbs because it's the factory, and it was probably a, a design requirement that the people be aware that they are being burned to create light. I know. So um, there must be suffering involved. So um, what are you say? this this one is. I, I mean, I'll let you finish reading it. I guess. Um, uh, thanks, Kanye. I'm sorry. <laughs> I interrupt all the time. I just have thoughts on this one because there's a lot going on. No, I mean, yeah, you right, didn't you? Uh, yeah. I should no, hope you have not. some thoughts on it. No thoughts. Uh, my favorite, easily my favorite part is that they were the bulbs were marketed as cheaper, safer, safer, safer and longer lasting, which is just, but they totally pose a hazard because if they ever break, they go, well, not every time. It's like 40% are class A ectomorph, uh, but, but the ghosts just come out. So like, you're just going to straight up have like, you know, fucking, what do you call the ghosts that can move shit? Uh, okay. 
poltergeist, you know, you break a bulb, the bulb goes out and, hey, no problem, just replace it. Oh, except that you are now haunted. <laughs> it's such a funny <laughs> idea. But my favorite part is that the Foundation figures it out because there were like a significant rise in household electrocutions. <laughs> Which is never explained. I love that so much. Um, the only thing I would change about this, and I wouldn't change it really, but I feel like somehow there could be a reference to it in here. It's only the ones that came from the factory's ectoplasm that fuck up. So it's a factory defect that's causing them to have to recall this. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> that, that's, that, that is what it is. So they, they end up, uh, the foundation steps in and they, they do a recall of the defective bulbs and yeah. the, then... They're, they're like, well, okay, you can keep selling these, but you have to stop using the factory as a supplier because, like, they're giving you bad product. <laughs> so, this there's a lot of stuff going on in here, and um, one of the things that. this introduces is the idea of Prometheus Labs offshoots, which is that Prometheus <laughs> went defunct in 1998, but like any large corporation, you can't really kill it. So, Ew. you know, like how when Bell was broken up in the 80s, you know, they had all the baby bells. There's all the baby PLs, you know. So in this one, it's Titan Consumer Appliances and Electronics, which is, you know, part of, like, an, split off from their former consumer appliances division. And so um, so they're operating, just making paranormal appliances, you know, microwaves powered by ghosts, that kind of thing. And um, they don't have the funding. They don't have the money that the old conglomerate had. So they turn to a shady supplier who is like, yeah, I can get you ghosts on the cheap and go back to the factory. And so there, there's a, this idea is that like TCAA, TCAE didn't like really, their mistake was not making ghost light bulbs. It was <laughs> trusting a guy who like was like, yeah, I got these ghosts. They fell off a truck. Don't ask. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so the idea is that they, they, you know, they should have been, you know, testing the quality of what they were, their materials higher. They should have been having better suppliers, but it wasn't really, uh, the mistake was not the science. The mistake was the implementation, which is something you see a lot of the time where you will have ma manufacturing defects because people cut corners, but the part of the like idea itself is sound. Right. Um, so there's the distinction of like, well, we know we shouldn't be putting class A ghosts into these because those are ones that are intelligent. We should only be putting like cow ghosts <laughs> into light bulbs. <laughs> so. It's beautiful. I just love that the basic fucking concept is so utterly ridiculous. I mean, what could possibly go wrong by putting something such, you know, so ridiculous as ghosts into light bulbs because the light bulbs will last longer? A ghost like, of every know, yeah, could, couldn't, I mean, probably more than one if you bought, like, a bunch of these things. And it's the, sort of the same idea as Mercury, uh, the old Mercury vapor lamps. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. remember back yeah, before. Yeah, just the same. Before LEDs totally were, were a big thing, there was like, oh, yeah. well, we'll re replace these in incandescent ones with, oh, whoops, if you break them, it, like, releases Mercury vapors into your home, and, like, it's, uh, That's not good. Yeah, so... This is basically a real thing that exists or existed. I just, like, replaced Mercury with ghosts. The <laughs> 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 way you say that, just so nonchalant. I just like, replaced you know, Mercury just... with ghosts. That's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. I, that's the best way to do 
weird science is to find any just replace it with the world world that's weird and just like extend that by analogy i mean god knows that's why i think uh anderson robotics worked so well when we had Kamala on i told him it was you know i mean you could do weird wacky you know haunted robots as much as you want but you're gonna run out of interesting things to say about it but not if hey what if we manufacture souls and maybe they have a heaven and you know it's just like real that that makes it so much more interesting if your wacky science stuff is also necromancy you know, it's just immediately more interested yep go all in for sure oh uh, gosh uh, all right, so uh, we're gonna we're keeping going on a clip here. Uh, this one is only like kind of tangentially cre- connected to Prometheus Labs, but I just loved it so much. So I just want to talk. It's about always it. good to uh, talk about a little Uncle Nicolini. Yeah, we haven't done a lot of Nico stuff here, um, and so I wanted to do this one. This was SCP five two three one, and that's one point. Sorry, the title is <laughs> you know, uh, it's one. 27.0.01 and it's a three millim uh, sorry three meter tall obelisk made of smooth white plastic its surface is marked with various luminescent blue lines um all of which intersect at the object's pyramidion pyramidion yeah i think that's the top of the pyramid the okay um it's not there's not it's not clear where the power is coming from but that's not what's i mean even though that is anomalous um what's fun about it is that it creates this wireless internet connection which calls itself wan W-A-N, which is, if people don't remember from the Church's Broken God episode, Juan is another name for mechanics. It's the Maxwellist version. Wide Area Network. Right. That's right. Um, (laughs) Which, once discovered, if a device like your cell phone, your computer, whatever, discovers this internet connection, uh, it will automatically become the default connection for any device. Uh, And when that connects to this wireless signal, it creates this... I forget how to say it. ASCI art. Ask ASCII. Yep. ASCII art. I always say ASCII. Uh, yep. ASCII art images of rhetoric and scripture associated with Maxwellian uh, sect of Church of the Broken God. Um, and you know, there's a couple images. The second one is the one I've kind of put in my own notes just because I think it's so funny. It's this like kind of silly little cartoon thing with a wireless symbol. And, and you need help from the Church of Mark Maxwellism. Become part of one, and you'll have decent Wi-Fi for free. <laughs> Just the idea of selling your religion because, hey, you want free Wi-Fi? <laughs> Which is more honest. I mean, hey, yeah, most of them don't give, don't give you nothing, so. Um, free Wi-Fi. Weirdly enough, it was discovered during a flood in an Amish country. Uh, mm-hmm. And when the floodwaters receded, uh, they found this object. Um, and the best, I think my favorite part about it is how the, the, the foundation decides to contain it is, <laughs> what if we just paid you? to keep this on your property uh, because they don't have any digital stuff. They basically go, we're going to make sure you keep this land. We're going to make sure the city doesn't steal it from you. We're going to do that and then you just leave it down there because you're Amish and you're not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Because they can't bring it back to a site because they do, all the computer systems and like cell phones and tablets and everything else will just become weird like you know bible tracks because effectively what this is is literally just a way to spread the word of one it was a former uh researcher or contractor or whoever who worked for prometheus labs who converted to maxwellism um and helped them make this machine to literally spread the word of one because all the devices will automatically become little bible tracks <laughs> so fucking funny it's a good little article nico is very very good they're very very good at at small ones with a little punch like 
Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 uh, it's a talent to write something that's relatively short that makes you think about something and gets a laugh and, and uh, has implications. And Nico's always excellent at that. Nico's excellent yeah. at everything. But, Nico's excellent. Yeah. Nico is excellent. Um, the thing I really like about this, it, in terms of an example of a Preethes Labs article, is how how diverse you can use this this because it's this previous like anomalous conglomeration that doesn't really exist anymore but its stuff is still hanging around and the people that work there are still hanging around it can be this great like uh tab into weird science affecting other aspects of the SAP universe yes prometheus is the the anomalous technology equivalent of of minefield propagation during world right. wars where it's just like they're everywhere and we don't know where they might come up it's and a lot of GUIs work that way I mean certainly the Davites work that way but you know and but if you were to do if you want to do something with technology and you don't want the baggage good baggage but still baggage that comes along with Anderson Robotics like Prometheus Lives is perfect they just did weird stupid shit <laughs> and and then it blew up in their faces so like that could be a great little kernel to start an article this is this is a definitely recurring thing as well, the over the connection between Prometheus Labs and former Prometheus Labs and just specifically Maxwellism. Yeah, we'll see about it comes up in uh yeah. Kid, Kid as well, which is a tale that we're not gonna talk about today. But the idea that there are these former Prometheus Labs employees out there who are still into paratech stuff but don't necessarily have an outlet for it and other groups of interest might provide that. And there's definitely at least within third law and i think this is something that's been picked up by a few other writers prometheus labs sort of served as an incubator for maxwellism to some extent where sure because you have these people who are working on the cutting edge of technology and are deeply involved in paranormal stuff it is very easy for some out there ideas and religions to to spread so they like you know when they were just in prometheus labs they were just a kind of a weird philosophy think tank take think tank and then they kind of spread outward so you get these maturalists who are also important <laughs> prometheus labs employees and they start the demise of prometheus labs kind of spreads them around like data lion seats and they're popping up everywhere right so yeah really i mean like i said it, you know, the davites work in a very similar way a lot of times it's just something that is found that has been left around um and a lot of you know weird stuff by the foundation you know, on the SCP wiki can be kind of summed up in that way. It's this thing that was found that was left over. But uh, this one works in this very believable sort of grounded way. Um, because like you said, you know, those people that work there, if they didn't get headhunted by the foundation, like what are they going to do now? They've got all these skills uh, and weird techno, tech knowledge. Um, you know, they're going to find other ways and, and maybe that's, you know, a bizarre... Uh, slice of this cult it's, it's <laughs> sort of how you keep seeing like veterans from wars pop up later as mercenaries because they like don't know how to do anything right. else right so uh speaking of no that doesn't it's not really a good transition for dave fool. <laughs> there uh, is no we're gonna talk about good transition to dave you fool it's always gonna I be know, like shifting so without a clutch uh i was considering because his 001 that he came out with not that long ago uh deals a lot with Prometheus Labs, but it's kind of pretty dense. Oh my oh. god, though, it's such I know. good article. I know, I know, it is a very good article, and I highly recommend it. Last I ride of everything. Uh, and maybe we'll cover it if we do, like, an old one episode, but... Uh, so good. You know, because we were gonna do, like, nine or ten articles, it, it's it's a little too dense. Um, 
Oh, yeah. So I went with this one instead, uh, which is an older article, SCP-2591 by Davey Fool. Um, I cannot pronounce in Italian, but in English, it is the Duke will have his revenge. Um, And it's an animate human cadaver possessing a regenerative ability to extend life. But uh, basically, it looks like it's mummified. Uh, Like when they first found him, they were assuming he was he was dead. Yeah. Uh, until he was like, ow, stop it. Uh, <laughs> um, my favorite part is this. I mean, anytime there's a line like this, I always like it. Near constant state of emotional distress brought about by previous events. Oh, okay. He's got some trauma. He's a living mummy. Yeah, you think maybe? A little bit, little, <laughs> little bit upset. <laughs> Consistently says it wants to commit suicide, which is probably the only way I can say that line and think it was funny as if Davey wrote it. Right. <laughs> Which, um, there's always an edge right. with Dave's stuff. Right. Always a little bit of an edge, and it always makes it funnier. The anomaly was found by using. No, it does. Um, Anomaly was found by using Prometheus Labs tech. There's like a uh, experimental dimensional gateway, which the Foundation is going to use to like explore the multiverse or whatever. Uh, which is SCP-2591 Omega, which I love is that like, basically none of the article discusses this gateway. It's just a thoroughly like where they found this living mummy thing. Um, my favorite is that it, it, it considers its native tongue to be a apostasian, apostasian, which is sung Italian, English, or French. Due to the desiccated nature of the anomaly's throat, this has been discouraged by Foundation staff. He insists on singing all the time, and they always tell him stop because it sucks to hear it. Because <laughs> he's a mummy. That's such a great thing to state in clinical language. He's always trying to sing, and we don't like it. <laughs> it sounds bad. Um... But then there's kind of this nice throwaway meta aspect of it because it turns out that the description of events uh, in this mummy's life uh, really fit along with this unfinished um, three-act opera by Giancomo Benini uh, in the 1800s, uh, which is like, wait, is this like a gateway into fiction or was was the opera writer somehow aware of what happened in this other world? By the way, no one ever figures out why he became a mummy that's alive. It seems like it is a gateway into the fiction because the reason when they go there and they find him, he's mummified. He's mummified because he stopped at the point where the play stopped because it was never finished and just stood there and became a mummy over the course of a long time. So somehow Prometheus has a portal into an unfinished play. Why specifically that one too? One that's like not even well known. Uh, somebody, I guess somebody, maybe somebody at Prometheus really needed to know how it ended. <laughs> You know, if you, if you accidentally screw something up, nobody will notice. You know, you, it's not like you can, like, pour that's true. to Les Mis and, and screw around because, you know, that's, like, the most popular play on the planet. So you find one that's out of the way that nobody has yeah, clever attention to and you can just do whatever. See, you're right. That makes sense because there's that, there's that hippo one about uh, Don Quixote rampaging through other works of literature and it's actually a problem. Whereas this, this is obviously nobody cares about this play that didn't get with. It's all like, bit of fiction. Yep, that's right. Everything is. Um, but let's switch into GW, your picks. Um, so the first one was one by you, which is one of these GOI. You have to shout it. You have to shout it because they're always a I'm podcast. not going to shout it. It's going to let, let me read It's going to redline. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Grant request for utilization of electrothomic computers to perform exorcisms of demonic enti- entities. Right. Uh, I almost. Uh, I if almost you couldn't guess. I screwed up a little on the last word. 
Um, this is also tied into the third law. This is a very highly rated one. It's a tail that's very, very highly, well, it's a GOI format, but for a GOI format, it's very highly rated. And I've actually used this before. This is, this is uh, in my, again, time after time password series, I, I referenced Site36 having constructed something like this as a plot device because of this article that I read. I thought, this is a really good article. <laughs> this was at one point the third highest rated GOI format on the site. It has since been surpassed, which I, you know, I'm I'm pleased with that because you know I'm glad that this inspired people to write other better things. But I'm also still a little bit like that. That was mine. <laughs> but uh, no, this was like written right at the leading edge of the GOI format revitalization because like GOI formats had been invented for the 2014 contest and then nobody had done anything with them. And then I sure. started writing GOI formats and push pushing for them and getting them added to the sidebar and now people write them i wouldn't say all the time but they're written more frequently yeah i'd say they write wilson's ones all the time and this uh prometheus ones occasionally and this uh this is also one of the, the like pre third law articles that ended up getting incorporated into third law um nice you know it was written before the mtf contest so it's not the oldest article on the site that is part of third law but it's in the in there uh and so it ends up being kind of foundational to subsequent stuff because it lays out a lot of details of the magic system uh so a lot of stuff is now based off of this inadvertently so what are the details what is it um, yeah so this is a problem uh, is demand for exorcisms greatly outweigh the capabilities of religious institutions. Specifically <laughs> that there's less and less people that are trained to be exorcists. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why that is. People just aren't aren't signing up to become exorcists anymore. They're just but in this a world... loss of institutional knowledge. In this world, that's a problem because there are literal demons. It's true. <laughs> so, uh, GW, what's 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 Prometheus Lab's solution to this problem? We will of, build oh a God. robot priest to perform exorcisms. <laughs> He's good. He's good. He's got the solution. So when good. there's trouble, you call GW. Uh, Electrothomic computer systems capable of performing great H thaumaturgical workings and rituals in the development of a software program capable of utilizing the symptoms symptoms systems in order to automate the performance of standard exorcisms. We can do this better and more efficiently. Yeah, so the tech the tech there that that gets into the like, you know, exorcisms are just a subset of magical workings and such, and so we'll create a computer that could do these specific types of workings but it's it is a robot priest like they're like we need more priests but we can't right priests so we'll build robots that can do it uh my favorite line is in business case uh because i feel like there's so much that is implied by this without going into detail like it's just perfect fuel for somebody else to pick up or yourself obviously um, this technology would also have internal applications within Prometheus Labs as it could provide, prove useful in debugging many of our ongoing demonology research projects. And we see that come up again. <laughs> just just right there, just me like, like you, you got a lot of those, do you? <laughs> yeah, they're putting them in satellites and shit. Yeah. No, they're trying to keep them out of the satellite. Well, they put them in the satellites, but then they got loose inside the right, parts yeah, they weren't right. supposed to be. Right. You keep your demons where they're supposed to be, and it's all fine. No problems. <laughs> uh, so, I can see how this one was very foundational, because, uh, you know, if you hadn't yet 
fully like germinated the idea of what third law is and reading this and then looking in hindsight how the way this treats science um not just science but like thaumaturgy and everything else it feels so so fitting within that world um like you said very silly ideas that are treated deadly serious yeah i i will also point out they fail they do not actually succeed like, <laughs> later articles will uh, uh, elaborate on this they do not actually succeed in building their like perfect robot priest because it turns out yes. that automatic thaumaturgy is a very hard problem so what they end up developing is instead a they still end up developing a product and bringing it to market, which is a sigil generator. So it like can do all of the like, <laughs> geometry and stuff, but you still need an actual type right. to run it. So it ends up becoming an assistive tool rather than completely replacing human beings, which I think is a is something that happens a lot with technology. You you end up thinking, oh, this will replace all human labor here. Right. Instead, it just creates mm -hmm. a slightly different job that can be done more efficiently. That's right. Yeah, that's good. Now. Yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I do, I just immediately like anything. I mean, as I already said, I like anything that's like, oh, it's techno babble, but like at, at its core, this is just like, oh, we're just doing more necromancy or summoning <laughs> or exorcisms. That's ridiculous. Uh, I also like the project a lot, the project title, which is allow for the revi or the revival of Project Auto Magus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that was their previous attempt at a robot wizard, which failed. And I'm like, well, maybe we can do it better this time. It's just so good that this isn't the first time they've done it. They oh, just really, it. really want to make a robot wizard. Like, that's, listen, that is, what if we did a robot priest instead? Yeah, the, the, the desire to build a robot wizard is literally the, like, entire meta plot of Third Law. And it's what, like, the Foundation <laughs> and GOC have been working against for a while. Because once you can mass produce wizards, like... Then that's like worse than nuclear proliferation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Sure. Um. So how long before you know roughly how how long was this written for before you uh, you know kind of started third law? Um. So this was written late 2015, and the canon hub for third law went up in August of 2016. But like third law, the ideas for third law started really coming together in you know during the MTF contest. So yeah, but we knew we were doing a canon by the time Analog King went up, and that was spring of 2016. <laughs> you guys made a canon out of a contest, ridiculous. <laughs> no, obviously that's what we did too. Uh, <clears throat> you just devote so much time. I mean, especially with one of those contests where it's a team contest and you've made this whole world and you're like, I'm not going to stop writing for this. Yeah. That's why I, the contests are always such good things in the end because you get a group of people together who wouldn't necessarily already be writing something together and you give them a prompt and it sets their brains off in a way their brains wouldn't necessarily be going already. Yeah. It's just kind of a big testament to the value in collaborative writing just in general. Yeah. I just genuinely think it brings out the absolute worst in me. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, not, like, bitter. I'm not bitter against the other people that are doing better than me, but I hate the constant comparison oh, that I do awesome. in my own head. You know, I mean, like, 7K, you know, I, everyone's like, oh, you're top 10, that's great. Yeah, it is great, but it's crazy how, like, you look at the top 10 list and see, like, how many more votes are on all of them above mine except mine. <laughs> my, wait, why? My teeth why? are only just now starting to become less sore because... 
I was grinding my teeth in my sleep with the trauma of being like, Oh no, wait, I might win this? Oh no, oh no, what if I don't now? Oh no. <laughs> I, I have become incredibly zen about it, and I'm like, third place is perfect. Which... Oh, I'm so zen now, man. Yeah. I would love third place. I don't give a shit now, man. I really don't, because uh, I won the one I need to win. It's coming off as a little bit of a humble brag, but we... No. It's, it's been no, very it's frustrating good. sometimes. We, oh, we almost got it, but oh, no, no, no. There were two guys who were slightly better, but in each case, I, I've always been more mad about the second place winner not winning, where it's like, actually, I think the second, the runner-up was better than the first place one, and we placed about where we should have, which is... <laughs> What's funny... Is I I don't feel like I got this because with with six k, I never thought we were gonna win. We no. were writing something yeah, that was impossible. Like, impossible to win, and every time it showed, you know, in the top ten and within, you know, I mean, I think it ended up being sixth. Um, yeah. and how much it's grown since it's just just constant bonus. It's like, wait, you guys actually liked this crazy long thing we wrote? Like it hit six whereas sixty the other day. I'm just like, what? Yeah, I know. Both. <laughs> Um, whereas like 7k, I wrote something specifically short with video for Christ's sake. I did fucking hours of work to make videos and I really didn't have a problem with not winning. I just thought there would be more. I did it literally to like, I thought I was going to piss people off. Um, and he was so upset. Get a lot of readers. He was so upset because yeah, Cal I was, I was like, I don't understand. Cal came in and wrote something that pissed everybody off so much. They didn't even have any room to be annoyed by anything else. I know. <laughs> Yeah, but that's the way the contests will always go when you pour a lot of effort into it because only a few entries will get a lot of attention and everybody else will be sitting there like, I wrote something really good. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Uh, I, it's not actually something I have a problem with. It's more like it brings out like yes. the insecurities. Yes, yeah, so I'd much rather just write stuff and forget about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway. Uh, okay, so let's go through some of these other articles, which is Grant request for the manufacturer of devices to regulate the Hume coefficient of localized reality. What do I sue? Boring title. Great article, though. Uh, they're all boring titles. It's so good. Um, the problem here is anomalous persons, while whilst potentially useful for research purposes themselves, can interfere with unrelated research and technology, leading to undesirable outcomes for those in scientific, military, or entrepreneurial fields. Basically, they want to stabilize local reality, sort of like a Scranton reality anchor, but uh, just kidding, it's people. Yep. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on here, um, but I, I just really like the fact that like they actually kind of go into the specifications of how they're going to change these people. Um, and the known issues are, first up, HR, oh, you fucking bet, because they don't have, after this operation is done, they don't have any ability to visualize, to dream or imagine, and will exhibit limited, severely limited memory and problem-solving skills. Operators will display only basic emotional responses such as indifference or aversion. Basically, these people are being lobotomized. In order to create uh, long-distance uh, reality anchors, I, I, I don't think I'm mistaken. Isn't this what, isn't this implying this is what SRAs are? Yes. Yes, so, that's yeah. what I thought. Yes, so it's like yeah. it's like we have been thinking this whole time. It's a device yeah. you turn on, and it stabilizes the stuff the reality benders are doing. What this article yeah. is saying is, yeah, but that's 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 the line Prometheus Labs sold you. They're actually using human beings yeah. and doing no, this. Long this, I, this is I love this article so much. It's so dark. It's not like this isn't how it works in Third Law, although it's yeah. yeah. Third Law takes a similar approach. It's a little bit less squishy and horrific, but 
like yeah this is like sras are just a reality vendor that they stuck in a box and lobotomized like there's no it's actual so objective reality that you can return to you can just like get a counter reality counter yeah it. it's so bad it's horrific it's, it's, it's so great bad. it's great and it's, it's not also, they don't use those they don't use the words you're used to which is brilliant right because as you read it you go wait a minute wait a minute Oh shit! I mean, I think there's a nice clue. There's a nice clue with the fact that they keep calling them ORI operators. Yeah, they they call it's like they, oh oh oh. They call right. reality vendors objective right? reality independent persons ORI, right. and then you're like ORI. That sounds like something I've heard before. I I also really like that they predict there's a possibility for these to go rogue. <laughs> yes, and then the and then the operating operating its device in a manner that is. And I quote, incompatible with consensus reality. <laughs> so basically they're gonna they're making emotionally stunted and brain damaged reality vendors. Yep, and they're giving them devices through which they can just long distance fuck up the world if they go crazy. Fun. <laughs> Reputational concerns due in part to the above human resource requirements. Meaning that it's a horrific surgery, you're ruining people's lives. Some potential customers may not be fully motivated to purchase the devices. <laughs> <laughs> Sales contracts should require customer organizations to restrict employees' access to details of the operation of devices on the grounds of protecting intellectual property rights. Don't tell people that we're operating on people's brains because of our IP. They might not, they might not like it. Although, in fairness, I feel like if they told the foundation, the foundation would go, yeah, fair enough. I mean, does it work? I love that article. Yeah, it's, 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 it's fridge horror to the max. And this is by uh, Sol. Yeah, Sol. <coughs> anything to say then, on that one, GW? Uh, sorry, what was that? Do you want to say anything about it? Oh. Sounds like we kind of just breezed through it there. <laughs> I, I mean, no, it's it's got everything on it, but pretty much it's... Uh, this is one of those ones where this is a little bit more hard, not hardcore, but a little bit more black in terms of oh, yeah. than I would usually write Prometheus Labs. And it's right. like Prometheus Labs is not not ethical, but they're not unethical, at least in my conception of them. They just they do sure. things because they they are their ultimate goal is to try and improve society, you know, through science. Building a better world through science. This is they don't they don't do what they must because they can. This is more in the, along the lines of the foundation's ethics, but it is also definitely still within that like spectrum of yeah, this is how you can use science for evil. And I love articles that do explore that because it is a serious problem we have in in reality is that there yeah. are people who do things because they can and don't really stop to think about why they're doing it or what the consequences are. Uh, as as the great Jeff Goldblum once told us, you never stop to think about <laughs> think about whether you should. Yep. Only about uh, whether you can. Oh, that frog DNA. Why did they have to start making the dinosaurs act like real dinosaurs and have feathers and stuff when they already had the out that they weren't real fucking dinosaurs to begin with? Did they not read their own scripts? Anyway. You had the out. They were fucking frog monsters. They're not dinosaurs. Are you talking about the newer ones? Because those ones suck. Uh, even in three, they started putting feathers on them, and it was well, that one. It counts as suck. I, I liked three. It wasn't very. It wasn't like great, but it was better than two. Two is dumb as fuck. It's such a shame they never made any sequels to Jurassic Park. 
<laughs> um, it, like the thing is, I like Jurassic Park three, and I don't mind the two that came after it. They're they're dumb as hell. Um, oh. I don't like Jurassic Park two at all. But the problem is, Jurassic Park is one of the best movies ever made. Yes. So the other ones are all just such a disappointment. Oh. I I will say the Tyrannosaurus Rex rampaging through San Diego is a fucking great scene. It's shot spectacular. I, I really awesome. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. The yeah. T Rex. I don't like that movie. All but I do like that. movie monsters. Yeah. Not least because of his sound design, the T-Rex roar is the coolest sound that's ever been recorded. I just love that they were like, let's take what they did right with Godzilla and apply it to, like, real, like, dinosaurs. Because I feel like there was a lot of inspiration going on there. Of like, we got to get a good roar in here. We've got to make it, like, really memorable. Uh, Jurassic Park is, like, actually a perfect encapsulation of Prometheus Labs. Like, that is something Prometheus <laughs> Labs would yeah. try to do. Although, probably their motivation would be less a theme park and more like we want to study dinosaurs more and maybe like oh use this to like revive other extinct species that we kind of accidentally wiped out in the industrial revolution yeah do you know my biggest problem with jurassic park is the theme park angle it's such a great angle though because you know you know if they're like you know that's the kind of thing that elon musk or like jeff bezos would be like i want to play with dinosaurs like yeah no that's yeah, I, I I do think so, but like I, I think that it would never get off the ground. Well, I mean that's the premise of the movie, so and the book, so <laughs> they just because they haven't had guests yet. I mean, like it, it's like clearly this operation has been so well funded. That guy must have been made of money uh, before we actually knew what billions actually did. I mean, Jurassic Park <laughs> is written in the same kind of mode that a lot of these SCP articles about crazy technology sure. are. The whole premise. Uh, Goldblum's, we were just talking about this, Goldblum. Crichton's premise for Jurassic Park, the reason he wrote it was he saw scientists doing genetic research, he saw big money people putting money into genetic research, and he went, this is going to go wrong, someone's going to do something fucking stupid because they think they can make money off of it, and it's going to cause absolute chaos because you can't control these variables. And that was that was the idea, so Jurassic Park actually is a good sidebar on, on the Prometheus Labs topic. He does have, like, a weird anti-science vibe, though. It's... Well, that's the thing, is it works well in Jurassic Park. Not just that. It works progressively oh, less oh, well in everything else he writes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Jurassic Park is a great movie and a great book. I, I, I'm not... But but know, later ones are like, just like, nanomachines are evil. Okay. Even earlier ones. Uh, it's just exhausting. It's, it's very difficult coming from a background in the sciences because science is cool. But there are a lot of scientists who are massive fucking idiots. I'm sorry. Like, it's... Of course. Like, there's, there's a, a, a... Like, uh... Neil Stevens in the 70s, he refers to it as a mystic. There is a lack of forethought in what technologies we actually develop and implement. We just kind of throw everything at the wall and see what happens. And that's not good. Yep. Yeah. Um, sorry to... Hopefully you've already realized this, but the, that's also true of the law. There's a lot of lawyers who aren't very smart. Oh, yeah, no, it's... it's oh, yeah, no, as, as I, I like to say... Oh, the deep dark useful skills! No, no. Rudy Giuliani yeah. did pass the bar, so, like, anybody he Sure did. I mean, he passed the New York bar, though. Okay, like, well. How did we get from Jurassic Park to Rudy Giuliani? Because oh, so he's a dinosaur! movie. <laughs> they did. They uh, got what? eaten by the T-Rex while he was hiding in the bathroom. Gennaro. <laughs> <laughs> They did him real dirty. He was like one of the protagonists in the book. Man. All right. Uh, last, last, last point. Last point. Last point. Totally unrelated to anything we're talking about. 
Uh, the T-Rex's final scene in Jurassic Park is my favorite oh. couple of moments of cinema in like oh, anything. Just the banner falling and the roar and dinosaurs real deep. It's, it's just absolute perfect. It's yeah. amazing. I don't have this sort of like reverence that people do for Jurassic Park. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's a great movie. Um, but that scene is magic. It's beautiful. That banner falling is just so, uh, it's like poetic almost. It is. It absolutely is. All right. Uh, all right. SCP. So, uh, <laughs> last GOI document, which is grant request for usage of biological organisms to facilitate efficient terraforming and species restoration by a random day. Um, so, I'm going to give a little bit of a, a summary, very simple, and then GW, you kind of take it away. Uh, basically, they're going to make creatures who can terraform asteroids or nearby planets in the event of an apocalypse. If they go through the different reasons why the planet might go extinct, it's super funny. But uh, best part is they're going to be re reverse engineering a Wondertainment creature called Doctor Wondertainment's custom pets <laughs> to create. To create, they're gonna call these things life-sized thrombocytes. <laughs> but if they were life-sized, they'd be tiny. <laughs> yeah, life-size is funny. It's a funny choice what of words. Life-size. That occurred to me as well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Biggest life, I guess. Uh, anyway, all right. Uh, GW, was, did you had you mentioned earlier or yes? Was this the first GOI format for for um, Prometheus? It was one of the first. It was written during the contest. Okay. Um, I don't okay. remember if this one or the other one written during the contest was written first, but there's another one um, that I cannot remember what it's about right now. Unfortunately. Like... <laughs> Well, um, I, but that's I love it better just the way that the spitballing goes on and on because this is one person writing a digression on the concept and what they think they can do with it. And it kind of seems like somebody should have come up to them and tapped them on the shoulder and said, stop at this point. And they don't. So it's just the spitballing and conceptualizing goes absolutely crazy off the wall. I mean, there's a point in known issues which should just be like, oh, this isn't going to work. The technology that this concept is based around relies on highly theoretical work. Yep. They've got to do cold fusion substance conversion. They aren't even sure if it'll even work. Get started. And they aren't even <laughs> sure if it'll work. And they and also at the end, you can almost imagine this is a stream of consciousness where the writer ends up and goes, also, I guess one of the known issues of this is that it could accidentally de-terraform the Earth and kill everyone. <laughs> Feels like that's the point at which you go, maybe I'm not going to hand in this grant request. Let me just put this in the... Oh, this is a fun experiment. Uh, a, a thought experiment, I mean. Uh, I just... I still just love life-size thoughtless. I think. <laughs> so, GW? Hold on one second. I um just realized that I made a gross factual error. Um, so this isn't the ANAs. The ANAs were a different article... That ARD later wrote based yeah. off of this, but this I didn't know what this was about too. I can I can link it to you guys. Oh, you you, you linked us the wrong one. <laughs> yeah, if we want to cover That's that one too. But so this this is a delightful no. delightful article because it really does illustrate like exactly what Prometheus's deal is like down to the T, um, which is the sixth letter of of the name. Don't worry, I, I was just counting there. Um, I can count. Promet. But, yeah, there's so many throwaway references to side things that they've been doing, like Project Leviathan. What's that? <laughs> Who knows? We don't care. 
Project Golo? <laughs> I don't worry about it. And, Project Cappuccino? Yeah, it's, um, <laughs> this is basically a, like, organic Grey Goose scenario that they're outlining where they're... <laughs> yes. It's, it's delightful. Yes. Stopped. <laughs> Testing and redesign would take, at minimum, five weeks. They have to establish, first of all, that they can actually make Cold Fusion work, by the way. But whatever, five weeks. It would also be prudent to have Prometheus Beijing construct a multi-environmental sealed biosphere, similar to Project Cappuccino Biosphere, in which preliminary tests can be performed. We never find out what Project Cappuccino is. We also never really see what, what it means about how they have so many hazardous waste sites. They have them in, the, in numbering in the hundreds that Prometheus controls. I mean, that's the... Including several that are in large cities like Worcestershire and St. Louis and Allahabad. Yeah, that's, um... But I, I always take the position that when you're dealing with large numbers like that, they're not sequentially assigned because, you know, German tank... Right, yeah. Like, there's probably not actually 141 of them, but... Yeah, you hope not. But still, yeah, the fact that they have enough that they can... They're but naming four there has to be more than 100. Yeah, it's... But, um... This is, also gets at another recurring theme in the grant request, at least, is that Prometheus always, like, over-promises and under-delivers just a little bit, where they're like, yeah, it'll right. take us five weeks and, like, $50,000, don't worry about it. And then, because this is, th <laughs> these are great requests, they're trying to, like, they're trying to coax upper management into funding their pet project, and they're like, yeah, 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 it'll only take, like, this much money. And then once you've got them, once you get the money, then it's so much easier to keep getting more money because it's like, well, we've already right. done this. See, like you just gotta, yeah. you I mean, just gotta start start producing results. And also the aspect yeah. of kind of the problems are very hot pie in the sky. Like, yeah, we need to terraform Mars because like the Earth could blow up. Right. It's like, is that an immediate concern? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you gonna make money on this? Um, my. One of my favorite things that shows up in the known issues is biological programming to imbue organisms with inborn knowledge is a purely theoretical concept. Okay, so this won't work. Yeah. Okay, so what we first need to do is make sure our universe works the way <laughs> Assassin's Creed universe works, and then this will function. <laughs> so wait, just in your core concept, the kernel of the idea of how this will work doesn't purely work. purely theoretical. Okay. I don't even think it's that, by the way. Yeah, this... I think it's a supposition. This is one of those <laughs> no, it's a debunked is, theory. This is one of those ones that is definitely the, like, you know how Google has their... They're like, oh, yeah, we encourage employees to use, like, a couple hours a week to do oh, yes. at projects. Yes. This is one of those ones right. where <laughs> this is... Maybe doesn't have a lot of immediate business use cases, although there's also definitely a sort of space program-esque tendency to do things and then see what business applications fall out of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, th this is why they have, you know, they've got their engineers and science guys, and then they have a marketing team that's completely separate and is just like, okay, this is interesting, but can we, like, sell toasters? You know, we need yes. money, guys. We gotta, we gotta keep getting, we gotta sell things to make money to do this stuff. <laughs> so. It's very, very Bell Labs-esque in some respects. Um, Bell is a huge influence on how Prometheus is written. Um, Bell, uh, General Electric, uh, the Taita yeah. group in India, the idea of this, like, massive conglomerate that has enough money <clears throat> to just do whatever they want in-house, and so they make massive strides in technology and science that sometimes don't have immediate applications, but they're also only able to do that because they have, like, a stranglehold on certain aspects of the market. 
you know, a lot of a lot I mean, of crazy stuff came out of Bell Labs, including the transistor, which was pure research. Right. Like, did not have immediate use applications. Well, they had a shit ton of money coming from the government. Yeah. That's why they were able to yep, do it. Yep, and Prometheus has a lot of money coming in from right. the foundation. Yeah. Like, that, that's the whole idea, is that... They, well, and the U.S. military, yeah, right? the research arm of all these paranormal agencies that don't necessarily have the expertise to do stuff in-house, or for whatever reason, don't want to. Like, the foundation has a lot of ideological issues with paratech and paratech research although you know less so in third law and less so i think in the modern conception of it but you know if you could yep. go to these guys who are experts in it or as close as there are to experts and be like we need 10 prison cells that could hold a ghost and we don't care how you do it like <laughs> yep or we need uh, circuits that can hold demons yep yeah <laughs> I mean, who who doesn't need that? Segway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the next one we're going to talk about is Operation Llewellyn Dark. Uh, I tap it. Yeah, I knew. I thought it was called that, too. I, and I was just staring at it now, and I'm like, oh, shit, it isn't. It's, I don't know how to say that. It's Llewellyn without the ending. It's, it's Llewellyn. It's, it's Celtic. <laughs> oh, you're right. I just noticed that now. Yeah. Operation Llewellyn. I only know one. I only know one Welsh word. It's well, Llewellyn. Yeah, it's. I I unfortunately can't uh, speak Welsh. No, most oh, people God. can't because most oh, people aren't even Welsh. Can't. Okay, I will. I will say uh, before we get into this, it's pronounced Gesh. Ah, good Gesh. Okay. Yes. We're going with that. Mm. Okay. Oh, I hate that. Well, well, it's it's the needs of standardization, my man. You. <clears throat> anyway, all right. Uh, so I'm just gonna read the opening part of this uh, because I think it's really interesting. There's an overview tab. There's a Gesh overview, uh, or for other people who didn't know that that's how it's pronounced, Gies. I'm going to call it a um, Gif. Uh, the Gif? The <laughs> On July 19th, 1981, Prometheus Astro Technologies' first in-house Gesh switchboard communicator satellite, the PSAT Sentanta, went rogue due to unforeseen malfunction in its demonic circuitry. Great sound. Right there. That sentence is just like, oh, we're in for a That's all right. <laughs> the satellite has been functional for over nine years at the time of the incident, and it was estimated that it would continue to operate for at least another 10 years without further interference. Following a collision with a meteorite, the demonic circuitry the satellite used was heavily damaged, resulting in the discharge of several demons <laughs> and the subsequent malfunction of the satellite. While an initial repair team was promptly dispatched, several members of the team were possessed by the free demons. Yeah. Who then proceed to further complicate the situation by introducing a large amount of free thomic energy, rendering the satellite effectively irreparable. Operation Llewellyn Dark is the designation for the attempts to contain the fallout that results from the meltdown of the satellite, and ongoing attempts to maintain Gesh safety when used in paratechnology. First of all, it's um, badass and amazing. Second of all, that's also sort of the premise of the beginning of the station in Prey. Yeah. Satellite got covered in... in black goo monsters and then they went to get them <laughs> so yeah. pray stole from scp you heard her here first i yeah. just switched over to the next tab and i realized tiff taff uh, actually gave an incorrect pronunciation when describing the phonetics of of gash <laughs> i noticed that yeah, yeah it, which is very funny and i don't know if that was deliberate but i i'm going to need to bug them about that later <laughs> that's, that's hilarious now if you if you um, actually, like go and like punch it into google it'll be like yeah no this is how it's pronounced because it's, uh, it's Irish. Right. Gaelic. 
Um, so, uh, guests consistently consi typically consist of three parts, a contract, a mimetic carrier, and a probability field. The contract itself specifies the conditions of the guest, while the mimetic agent is used to carry the probability field and bind the subject, being the person, to the guest once the contract is signed or otherwise agreed to by the subject. The probability field effectively warps the state of the subject's consciousness such that it becomes more and more difficult to perform actions which would contravene the restrictions of the guest. This is the most... I mean, A, this this tab, the second tab goes into so much really good, like, world building and history. Um, but I just really love this first part of it because guess is, like, this idea of the spell that makes you do things. Yes, yeah. it's a classic uh, Celtic and yet, lore. Yeah, and I mean, and, and it's been, you know, kind of dragged into a lot of modern fantasy as well. Um, and this just perfectly breaks it down in that wonderful, like, third law like science is magic right. is science sort of way it's so good it's just like oh that's how it works the yep. article is mm -hmm. also really great because it does rely very heavily on that base folklore like everything about it is referencing the of the original original folk like the the what happens when you have conflicting gashes coming right into play kukulin syndrome which famously that's how kukulin died like he had conflicting gashes that he couldn't you know complete and it killed him I, I love how like this is all based in like like you were saying folklore and like old world like Irish like folk tales etc and like you get deep into this history of and, and all of the different and then you're like oh right this is about a satellite that's possessed by yeah, there, there's, the, there's the real word <laughs> mythology stuff there's also some background information on the famous Spurryman Langford kill agents as well which is very well done yep which is ultimately a reference to rich blit. ass world building say, say again to what blit uh b-l-i-t it's a very old short story uh which is like introduces the idea of uh it's a story by David Langford mm. it's about it like introduces the idea of mimetic kill agents right. um basilisk uh, he calls them right of course yeah so Langford is the writer of Blit, and in 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 Blit, the acronym is Berryman Logical Image Technique. So, yeah, just wanted to shout that out because it's a good story, it's good information, and it's it's, good. it's been uh, deeply influential on the wiki in ways I think a lot of people don't even realize. Yeah, I mean that makes sense. People take the inspiration and they do something with it, and people get inspired secondhand. But, yeah, and with stuff on the yeah. wiki as well. Uh, we were just talking about that. Um, but anyway, this is basically a maintenance report uh, <laughs> from SCP uh, technicians uh, working with, obviously, Prometheus Lab Technology um, to try and, like, restore the functionality of this uh, satellite so that the guests can continue to work. Uh, and it's not ultimately successful, but they are able to, like, get the demons under control. <laughs> I just you know, results of maintenance. Maintenance failed to restore the satellite's functionality, but prevented the continual malfunction of the satellite. The residual demonic manifestations were eliminated, making it possible for a second maintenance team operation to be performed with the aim of. And that's so completely. By the way, this is already. The yeah, second. that's so completely bloodless. It's like it, it worked out. We got we we stopped it from continually malfunctioning. We fixed some of the demons and. Then the second team gets there. There's like a dead possessed person there already. It, 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 it didn't, it didn't go perfectly. Yeah, the, it definitely didn't go perfectly. 
Due to the large quantity of demons discharged, the Eidolon's power source began to run down within minutes. <laughs> just... Of course it did. I mean, that's what's going to happen. A lot of demons out there. <laughs> just, uh, uh, this is a really fantastic article. Yeah, it... yeah, this also delves a lot into, like, not just into the tech side of things, but also the, like, political and legal side of things, because it's talking about how the, like, different occult powers right. interact and standardize there like they there's a calendar calendar guest standard to right. try and prevent conflicting you know it, the uiu will be like well we're going to drop a guest on our agents so they can't talk about you know all this shit and then the foundation will drop a guest on their agents and you know it's so you want to avoid conflicts like that because having conflicting wishes is bad it, it provides produce colon syndrome and it talks about the history of how this technology was developed and how it became implemented and how it is now foundational to the veil because you like you can't have the veil without something like this where not only like the geshes and amnestic amnestics are the like two things holding the veil yeah. together the ability to make people forget that they saw things and the ability to keep people right talking about things like physically prevent them right. from ever saying shit and without those you could not maintain the veil and so this is a very like vital article to third law as well too so but, that's uh, that's always I a cool thing when you could do that with an article. Like, so it's an interesting story and it's full of really cool details, but it's also a useful tool for later stuff as well. That's always a really good bonus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just really love the fact that there's all this history, you know, like I said, like you said, based on folklore, there's all this like breakdown of how guesses work in universe, but it's also based on like real life folk, you know, knowledge. Um, but ultimately it's just this very description of it has this, like you said, bloodless, Harry, it's this very routine way of describing a repair, uh, maintenance attempt, uh, that, you know, at its core is just exercising fucking deep from a fucking satellite. So fucking, it's so fucking, it's just like when you take a step back, ridiculous. Uh, I, uh, I'm getting pronunciation suggestions from my very Irish-American girlfriend, uh, who is saying that it's probably pronounced Lewin? 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 What? Yeah, we'll go with Lewin. Okay. The, the English language does not have the phonics no, uh, that we require. The definite impression that I got from the Welsh is that they had more spare time in order to say things than the rest of the world. Oh, okay. I don't know if you caught that, but there, there's some <laughs> Elvish if you listen to the Lord of the Rings movies. That's good. Well, that makes sense since he was a, uh, a British linguist, so. Yeah. Tolkien as the old... Tolkien and Third Law have a lot in common, actually. <laughs> the, the, the preparation before you yeah, tell no, the story. It would not surprise anyone that... It would not surprise anyone that... I think all of us read Tolkien at a formative age. Uh, I sort ARD might not have, um, but I definitely did. Backwardory. He was uh, thinking the third law people. Yeah, and let me tell you something. Trying to read uh, Tolkien when you're in your 20s and read other stuff uh, makes you um, not like it that much. It's it's a very dry read, and I will say that... I will say nothing else. Linguistics is, his linguistics are a lot better than his prose. See, it's, a, it's a very important element of my friendship with Gregory that we don't talk about. The is a much is a much tighter read. I, yeah, we just yeah. don't talk about it because I can't... Yeah, Gregory used to like reference how much he doesn't like Tolkien every time it came up, and it was making me start to wish physical harm on him, so... 
no, no. Um, I, I love Tolkien, but I also recognize that the craft of writing... Has it's like if every time you talked about Let's... FromSoft, I talked about the camera <sighs> and how it's one of the worst examples of design in the history of video games. You start to get annoyed eventually. <laughs> oh, Elwood. God, I'm so sorry. Elwood. Um, I opened the box. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just making the joke because it's not something our listeners would know about. Um, the first book I ever don't read, but I adore like, The Lord of the Rings. Hobbit I liked. There you go. We can come together. Handshake on that. Um, I, I, I will say that, like... I, I'm i going to be the guy who's like... <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I did read The Similarian, and I probably said it wrong, but... Um, yeah, but everybody I, says it that way because they're always... Everybody gets it wrong. Sure. Um... I've heard similar I like that more, even though I don't think it's a good, and it wasn't meant to be like a good like standalone book. But I enjoyed the like folkloristic, you know, yeah, the, you know, because I always read. I grew. I mean, what I read formatively, you know, was like myth, just a shit ton of myth. I mean, I yeah. did read novels pretty young as well, but the Silmarillion is a history of a world that never existed. Is a format it's script. so good, so good. Yes. Yes, and that's, that's yeah. kind of the vibe I yeah, totally. capture. In a lot but of like, that's what I was saying about Third Law, is, is you've got this thing where you prepare. You think of the way the world works and how it functions and who developed it and who is there and the, the background behind it before you tell the story. And that's what Tolkien did. He created, he spent his whole life creating a universe right? so he could tell a few stories about it. <laughs> and, and he didn't have to make stuff up on the fly because he had it all. We also do a yeah, lot of... The, we also do do a lot of revision on the oh, yeah, which was also writers did that did as well because it, like yeah. Lord of the Rings evolved over decades and so even the Hobbit the first the first edition was later changed when he realized oh shit that was the ring that was <laughs> the ring yep retcons don't you just love when you could do that where you could be like well we freaking one edition and the second edition <laughs> is going to just completely change this chapter don't worry about it the first edition was like. Actually, like, yeah, yeah. this is why people don't know that Ronald Dahl is a giant racist. Oh, oh dear, poor, yeah, yep. poor evil Ronald Dahl. Ch to to Tolkien did the George Lucas thing before George Lucas. Oh, I feel like this is very common in writing. Uh, you know, like it's just George Lucas did it bad. Yep. <laughs> Um, I will say, you know, before we jump off this topic, because we're talking about Lord of the Rings, and we're all over the market, like a stereotype. Um, you know, modern fantasy wouldn't exist without it. I mean, it, yeah. it would in some other form, maybe, but it almost wasn't as popular. Yeah. But I, I, not even just because I actually don't like high fantasy, typically. Um, I was excited as fuck when FromSoft did something else. Um, but... You know, it wouldn't. We wouldn't have stuff like Game of Thrones, which you know that maybe that's a good or a bad thing. But the point <laughs> is, it's clearly super important. You know, you wouldn't even have basically Dungeons and Dragons, like the forms that we have for right. elves and dwarves, and the existence of orcs right. is Tolkien. Yeah, I, yeah, I, and more importantly, we wouldn't have Warhammer 40k, which is much better. That's right. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> I mean, like imagine if Shakespeare had never lived. Right. Right. Exactly. Totally. You know, maybe language. those influences would just look differently, but we'll never they know. Would. Like, let's let's face it; it's really important. I mean, as I long as they wouldn't be wished. Sorry, would all of our fantasy based off be based off of Wizard of Oz? I was yeah. gonna say, oh god. I mean, it's the same way. What if it was all C.S. Yeah. Lewis? Oof, yeah. I mean, it's Wizard of Oz is actually pretty cool, honestly. Um, I it's the same way that like people 
completely misunderstand and don't realize how important Dune is to like yes. modern space yes. opera. No, I also I've made this also everyone before. everyone not everyone but like so many people don't understand because they were like I don't know the books get weird later. I just like the one where like Paul is like a hero. You're an idiot. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. It's true. He's not a hero. He's a monster. Yes. No. It's uh, this is. My, my uncle's a much bigger fan of Dune than I am, although I am a huge I do appreciate Dune, and he talks about this a lot, about the, like... Literally, I have multiple times my girlfriend has laughed at me because I've suggested we watch that movie again. <laughs> I've the, watched wait, wait, the, the wait, new one, the wait, new one, the new one. Okay, the new yeah. The, I've the, watched the old one a lot. But it's not It's not a good No, it's not. A, it's a terrible film. Uh, it's not, and forget about good adaptation. It's not even a good movie. Uh, interesting. <laughs> David Lynch has made so much more interesting stuff it, it's just that somehow some way somebody gave that dude enough money to make a crazy space opera before so he had made anything else they, which is they, amazing they wanted him to lucas wanted him to direct return of the jedi <laughs> and he oh, passed on that and so he was like oh. well now i gotta direct dune and i want i want to see i don't i don't want to live in that universe but i want to see the lynch oh, version I, of yeah the jedi i want that so much i want the lynch version of basically everything um I was I saw that movie when I was really young, the Damon Lynch version, and I when I finally got around to reading it because my, I was like, oh, I want to read it right now. My mom was like, you're not gonna understand it, <laughs> like wait a little bit. And I actually listened to her, and I didn't read it until I was in my teenage years. And even then, I feel like I didn't understand it as much as I've read it since becoming an adult. Um, but I was really disappointed that they didn't have any of the sound cannons. Because he made up a whole, the whole basis of the fucking weirding way. And the David Lynch one is just fucking bullshit that he made up because he was like, they don't have, like, cool weapons. They got, like, knives and shit. What's the <laughs> point of that? Like, yeah. the fucking the no, Benny Jester. They don't have cool like... weapons. It's just knives and shit. <laughs> knives are cool. While, like... while he's chain smoking. This, this is something that's that modern that modern like audiences do not appreciate is the like intense homoeroticism of a knife fight like that <laughs> so well, it's also well i mean you're right but also i think it's it's why you know we can't get the fuck away from Jedi in Star Wars because people are always going to respond more to like a sword fight than a bunch of people shooting at each other. So here's, um, here's something: Star Wars would not exist without Dune. Like Dune is no, like, like yeah, absolutely. Dune is to science fiction as Lord of the Rings is to fantasy. Like they are the twin like foundations of modern Ang yeah. Ang Anglophone like nerd culture. Oh, I love Dune. Okay, we will keep yeah. going. This. Okay, um, all right. So let's. We got one left before we briefly talk about a couple others. Okay, Orichas, Orichas, Orichas Folly, which is by Ip, which we haven't talked about Ip one in a, in a few episodes actually. Um, before we were talking about one like once or twice. Yeah. Um this is good. This is this is really good. So it kind of comes from a lot of different angles. We've got uh, a chat log of like Max Wellis. We've got a uh, Prometheus Labs grant proposal. Uh, we have like like a, a recorded conversation. There's kind of a weird, almost a Twine game. It's not a Twine game, but yeah, it's very, um, it's very interactive. This this article. Yeah, um, but basically what this is is the Prometheus Labs has found a source of orichalcum, the mythical uh, metal, um, and they break it down. And the reason that they want to use it is because it actually has this very useful ability to block psionics. Um, yes, he's making it, and if he's you, combining it with yes, 
Yeah, it's and if you know about, popular. yeah, if you know about old bullshit stuff that happened on the wiki that we just don't talk about anymore, there, you know, there's brilliant bronze, which is kind of stuck around, and then there's telekill alloy, uh, which is what this turns out to be. Only it's a really funny kind of takedown of that stuff, in my opinion. Oh yeah, um, because you know, it, it, the idea is it's going to be able to block. Uh, psionic abilities which are is a growing number of people something like 10 percent of people show basic abilities and it's only getting worse and some of them could develop reality warping abilities and then you know the long night would happen and uh the demons from the warp would oh i'm sorry uh, anyway <laughs> uh the alloy uh is discovered in a shipwreck because it's you know off the coast of uh someplace in greece because oh boy this is some mech game stuff um the problem is that a major obstacle, or the known issue, major obstacle in this project comes from a side effect of exposure to the alloy. Individuals who undergo prolonged exposure to the alloy develop symptoms similar to those of the autistic spectrum. Uh, and we believe that they are slightly altering the alloy's composition will mitigate this effect. Hey, real quick, this is Grigori. I just wanted to explain, I'm not laughing at the idea of somebody getting autism. That's a serious subject, but more the idea that being exposed to a metal could do it. This is the way that it is frequently making fun of pseudoscience in that there are so many bullshit reasons why people think that people develop autism. And I thought it was funny that it's telekill that's causing it. That's just to explain. Right. It makes a certain amount of sense because it's, it's blocking signals and it's preventing signals uh -huh. from the brain. And eventually it, it's, it makes people's brains incapable of, of interpreting coding. My favorite part of the known issues is like kind of just slipped in at the end is if a device is kept within the near vicinity of this metal for more than 37 hours, it permanently loses the ability to send or receive signals. Right. This would totally fuck up almost all technology. Yeah, drop this into Silicon Valley and see what happens. Oh, I <laughs> wish. Uh, just in uh, case Twitter headquarters in it. Yes. Oh, God, yes. Just in case Elon Musk in it. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have any devices. He's stupid. Uh, <laughs> testing with us, we just can't. We're all going to be hunted down now because in case, in case Donald Trump in it. Oh, it's, I mean, he's, without an air hole, obviously. Yeah. Uh, testing with a scion leads to a horrible lab accident because the alloy doesn't end up blocking the abilities. It just grows in response to them, and it grows so rapidly it crushes the poor bastard's legs. Yes. Um. And then the Maxwells get really mad because, you know, they do that, at least in the way that Ed brights them, they kind of have a bit more of a zealotry type of angle than they kind of look like later. Uh, and they force the researcher to reveal the existence to the foundation of Prometheus Labs, um, where they're holding the telekill. So this is basically how the foundation old school got telekill. Yeah. Uh, and then launch an attack on the compound and basically kill it. Yes, the title of the last tab is an absolutely fantastic title. Conversation overheard immediately prior to an explosion. <laughs> it's very good. It's a really, really good tale. You know, great mixed media sort of sort of thing as well. Mm -hmm. Interactive. It's pretty short. Uh, it, it's always really good with the Broken God stuff. Yeah. Doesn't get as much credit as it, deser it deserves for that stuff. Yeah, he a lot of formative stuff came from him. Borrowed stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, this is another way that, like, you can just pull in Prometheus Labs in an adjacent way to make it, you know, kind of be the kernel of a story or, or, or the impetus of a story. Yeah. They're really effective. Yeah, there's also the implication that they make um, they make implants as <clears throat> Maxwellists. So that's a cool right. building. Yeah, this is um, obviously not 
canon within third wall, but it's it's a great bit and I love it and it's um it's part of the like third law has tried to rehabilitate te telekill to some extent because it is very useful yeah um and so the uh, this is one of the things that's informed that the idea that maybe prometheus did make telekill and <laughs> maybe maybe it didn't get them all blown up <laughs> well at least that guy maybe didn't blow up all of their labs ever yeah um, so we've got a couple of more that we're just going to briefly talk about that you did both of these. Yeah. I read, I read them both. They're fantastic. Yeah. So I really like the first one. First one's so good. Preliminary, preliminary report of JC Randall upon his party's efforts to catalog the multiverse. So, um. Go ahead. This is, um, part of, part of the thing with Prometheus Labs is the idea that they found it in like 1892 and. Right. That's a very interesting year to have been founded in because, like, if you think about the companies that still exist from the 1890s, it's like General, well, companies that eventually became like General Electric and stuff like, like Westinghouse Edi Edi Edison and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That then, you know, there are not a lot of actually like Nintendo like that. <laughs> and so Nintendo, you have playing cards. Yeah, Nintendo was making playing cards. Yeah. Um. So. The Prometheus goes through a few different like eras of like how they operate, and initially they are kind of based on this British model of a like uh, almost like kind of not East India Company, but yeah, charter like, corporations. Yeah, charter corporation. Like we're just like doing stuff, and we're closely linked with the state, and it's a bunch of old guys in suits like smoking cigars and talking about stuff. Uh, and so this is from later in that era, you know, 1927, and they're, like, actually a serious, like, scientific endeavor, but they are still very archaic about certain things. It's very, like, overly formal, very English, very, you know, so they send this guy off to do a, like, Lewis and Clark does the multiverse, and he's running yeah. back missives about it, and they're just doing, like, pure research. They're They're just going to explore because they can. And, of course, he gets lost, uh, vanishes, and so then this is, like, kind of a retrospective. The article is, you know, like, uh, we've gone back and, like, annotated, you know, this guy's report and uh, try to figure out what happened to him. Yes, uh, because it ends, up as not being, it ends up as not being Lewis and Clark. It ends up being Franklin Expedition does the multiverse. They go off and they don't come back. <laughs> it, it, um, Scott... <laughs> The the Scott expedition to Antarctica was a big yeah, yeah. influence on this as well too. Um, Scott Shackleton, like the, yeah. the yeah. like Arctic. <laughs> I could feel the Arctic stuff radiated era. That's for sure. Yeah. So it's um. I will say that my favorite part about it because they go off into the multiverse and disappear immediately, and this is supposed to be the report they sent before they headed out. That the 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 way that <laughs> the way that you get around that because obviously you would want them to be able to tell about what they ended up getting up to while out of the multiverse. But this is the first report, and we don't even know what happened afterwards. But we do, because at some point, they get... And I... Shit. <laughs> they get... What is it? Desynchronized with our yes. baseline rea baseline timeline. So, uh, yeah. And so, so we, we're hearing... We're, the report is talking about three or four weeks into the report, even though it was written before the 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 party actually set out so it's not not quite so this is this is a preliminary report so the idea was that like that they send this off while they're still out in the field 
uh, it's oh. like appertaining back to headquarters, but they are desynced from reality. So yeah, like they don't time. immediately like like time. we're gonna check in in like a couple weeks, but like a couple weeks for them is very different than what it is for baseline. So nobody uh, realizes okay. that they're missing for a while, and then it's like oh, huh. So they um. You know, this is, like, their initial report, and there's supposed to be a larger, like, survey catalog of, here's everything that we've we've surveyed so far, and also all of the stuff we surveyed on the way back, and here's just a, like, quick snippet to, like, let you all know that we're, we're okay, uh, and that there's more coming. Very much a, like, kind of, uh, like, when you land in Antarctica, you send, like, a telegram back to... Right, right, right. ...back, and then you venture off into the interior, and you, uh, freeze to death. <laughs> because you didn't bring enough food because you're you were a dummy because you're british yep so you know the they go missing and then so the british occult service you know sends a guy in to try and figure out like what happened and they're like well either the nazis killed them <laughs> or they just like vanished into the a a ether so who knows yeah because i have a note here that what would a multiversal adventure be like without nazi occultists yeah, exactly. because of course they run into the fool society of course yep Yep, 1920s. It's Cordvice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What? Yeah. Cord Cordvice is a very, very, very bad man who uh, reoccurs in a couple places in Third Law. Yep. Uh, and also, weirdly enough, there was a real Thule Society at this time. Oh yeah, no, the the Thule Society is a real oh, actual really? thing. Uh, they were a, a lot of Nazis were involved with it, although eventually they were like purged by the Nazi regime because yeah. they were a little bit too weird. So. <laughs> Which is always a fun, fun place to be. You're, you're a little bit too weird for the the Nazis. <laughs> it's like eh, no, that's a bad that's, sign. That's, no, too bridge too far. But uh, yeah. So that's that's capturing more of the like early like paranormal Renaissance era of PL with the idea of like we're just doing these research expeditions. We're trying to. This is still a new science. We're trying to figure out how stuff works. It's very much kind of seat of our pants stuffy old academics very uh dr livingstone i presume esque <laughs> arthur conan doyle the lost world sort of thing as well yeah it's a good piece yeah. gulliver's travel gulliver's travel or gulliver's travels yeah yeah, yeah this is the, the very tail end of this era because right after this you get into or the real life story of marco polo you get the seventh cold war so you go from you know fun hunky-dory we're having fun science adventures to Oh, we're having a science war. Right. Like, it's... Right. Yeah. I also really appreciate the fact that this doctor, this researcher, this explorer's name is J.C. Randall, because that immediately brings to mind the guy that um, that Lovecraft wrote a lot about. I forget his name. It's, it's very Polk, like 1930s yeah. Polk. Oh, yeah. The, uh, Dr. Brass. Yes. Doc Savage, that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah. So then, <clears throat> but it's, it's, it's really fun. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it's really fun um, the way that, like, Lord Blackwall Adventures or, like, the 093 Explorations are. Uh, it's got that very pulpy sort of feel to it. Um, it's, I was just going to say, it's a good read. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so then the flip side of that is then what happens once your science is more established and, like, industrialized <laughs> and your, like, punch clock, like, checking at nine, do some mad science, check out at five. And that's the Necromancer, which is a very short vignette about the, like, the day in the life of an intern Necromancer for Prometheus Labs. And in, this is in the classical sense of necromancy, not raising the dead, but divination, like, talking to ghosts to divine information about the future. Right. You know, 
classic like Odysseus goes to the underworld and like talks to the ghost of Tresaeus. And of course, if you could do that, you would summon John Maynard Keys to get stock prediction. Right. Yes. Like, <laughs> like this is this is their whole. They have like an internal necromancy unit that they just use to be like, we need you to call up like different ghosts and get information about the past <laughs> or the future. So it's like you know. So they've got it down to like they've got their like their copper their summoning ring embedded in the concrete. They've got you know the, a fridge full of you know blood and milk, and they're like, yep, okay. Um, and now we we mix up a precise amount of the ingredients, and we summon the ghost and talk it. And Keynes is very like bitter about this because he's like, you know, in the old days they used to have respect for the dead, and you're giving me like cheap wine and and pasteurized milk and it's like yeah but it still works give us our give us our freaking stock advice come on <laughs> or look if you don't want to do it i'll just ask someone else i'm sure adam smith would be more than amicable <laughs> kinds looked kinds looked mortified which was impressive for somebody who was already dead you wouldn't dare <laughs> yeah very <laughs> i love the idea that the ghost of john Maynard kinds is a really really dislikes adam smith well I, yeah, pretty <laughs> much everybody really dislikes adam smith and even if you did summon him i don't think he'd even show up he'd just like invisibly oh, yeah he'd be like let me mark. tell you about the invisible hand yes it's so yeah it's it's very very rapid paced and it's very like here's the yes. like practical science of necromancy which is a very fun thing to to discuss and it um yeah, so this is from their like their their height in the seventies and eighties. You know when they they are firing on all cylinders, they're engaging in rampant securities fraud. You know, it's interesting. Like there's there's uh, an SNC Plastics article. It's about the same length as this about um, Ips Thaumaturge main character Catherine Sinclair. At the first article, I think she's in where she's do- doing almost exactly like this. She's got her uh, apprentice, and they're going through the practical means of oh, generating yeah. magic mm-hmm. and she's going to do a fire spell or whatever and and it, they're both of a piece in that sense of like slice of life of industrialized magic yeah. it's 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 a, it's a good genre that i think there could be more of snc plastic is is a great canon and sinclair does show up a couple times in third law in some crossover stuff that's um, cool she's great yeah. she's awesome loves loves sinclair she's awesome um yeah, so that's those are just two very short tales at the end there that we didn't really need to cover as extensively as we did. And that uh, one's by you. That one was by you, Green Wolf. Yes, the, those were yeah those last two. Both of those. Were, they're yeah. both excellent. Uh, yeah. yeah. Especially, uh, I did I did want to mention the the grant request that I meant to send yes. you guys, but I actually sent you the wrong one, and we can cover that really shortly if we have time. Oh sure, very quick. Rush through it. Why not? Yeah, so the the grant grant request for genetically engineering low-cost organic automatons with sophisticated artificial intelligence for labor uh, (laughs) is is very much like that, uh, the second one we covered, uh, the SCP, I cannot remember the number. Um, Oh, yeah, that one's... Which is like, we need... Like, we need... Humans are useful for labor because, like, everything's built for humans. But also, like, machines are difficult to build, and we can't build robots, so what if we just, like, make humanoids that are humans, pinky swear, they're not humans, and we, like, <laughs> genetic- we genetically engineer them to, like, be, like, dumb and servile, and we can, like, make them, you know, change their, their colors so they look like bees and stuff like that, you know? Yeah, what could be wrong? Uh, 
so this is their like their solution is well we don't can't build robots and slavery is wrong so we'll build human robots <laughs> <laughs> oh and it's a robotics kind of got it yeah so and this is this is third listen <laughs> to d classes well they just used clones right <laughs> yeah uh it's this one was by this was by a, a random day so it's but uh there's a few it it does hit a lot of the similar notes to that to that skip from earlier um but it has a different like different approach to it it's more like oh no this this is fine don't worry about the ethics right the ethics are bad <laughs> don't worry about it yeah they can't survive without the consumption of Prometheus Labs, in all caps, all natural enhanced liquid food supplements. <laughs> Learned from Jurassic Park. We're not, although they tried that in Jurassic Park too with the like potassium deficiency or whatever it was. Lysine. Lysine, yeah, sorry, lysine. Life, life finds world. a way. Yeah. Life uh, finds a way. Yes, sorry. <laughs> and life is Okay. You. Um. All right, so we only got the one email, but it was from We're Cassandra Prime. Popular. I know, but Harry, why don't you read this email? Okay. Hi, medium time listener, first time caller. This is an email, excuse me? Yes. Heard y'all are talking about Prometheus Labs, from 3 Law to 120 Archives to the Shark Punching Center, as well as some humorous takes. There's a lot of articles about the GOI to love about these mad scientists. I'm sure you've mentioned these already. <laughs> Hilarity ensues. Nope. But just in case, some of my favorite takes on Prometheus are... Grant request for the creation of a cure for the iron allergy native to the Homo sapiens senior species. I, I never know how to say or that but It means fair. Yeah, I've, um, I've looked it up. It, it, it's, it's spelled like Sidhi, and I don't actually know how you say it. I think it's like she or something like that. Um, ask your girlfriend. Ask your girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, SCP-3241, the SS Sommerfeld, as well as, even though it's technically a spinoff, SCP-2308, Futures Trading. I also like what little of the spinoff Oneroi Incorporated we see in Loud, Lawless, and Lost. Speed Demon. Ah. Our ards everywhere up in this bitch, eh? <laughs> Prom Labs spinoffs in general are pretty neat. There's also, of course, Debut Fools 001, which everyone should go and read. That's right, uh, Ulysses S. Fool's proposal, last ride of the day. No question, because y'all are probably already running overtime. She didn't even know GW was with us. That's funny. Uh, how you're doing? How you're doing well. Hope you're doing well, oh, Cassandra oh. Prime. So, thanks, guys. I um yeah that was something we didn't talk about as much was the this Prometheus spin-offs but that was part of the like problem that I had with Prometheus Labs was that it was a defunct GOI it's like well they yeah. died in 1998 and that's it nothing else and it's like well that sucks because then you can't do like 1998 is getting increasingly distant by the year I am acutely aware of this fact of I... so it's um that's something so we could cool. actually do someday. We could we could do a thing on like splinter GOIs because there is a lot of that where people are trying to write about a GOI but they don't quite fit or the time doesn't work, so they make alternate versions. Uh, yeah, maybe girlfriend is saying that it is pronounced she. I was right. He's right. Yeah. yeah. I. I. Yeah. It's like ba like banshee. Nice. Right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yay. Uh, <clears throat> All right. Well. Thank you for coming on again. Yes. Always uh, a pleasure. Yeah. And yes, thank you, for, thank you for having me. We're, we're getting 
we're getting to the end of GOIs that I give a shit about. <laughs> <laughs> there are other ones we haven't covered. This one turned out really well. I really like these articles. Oh, yeah. When you suggested it, uh, you know, because I kind of threw some at you and you were like, well, let's do Prometheus. And he's like, oh, we got plenty of stuff that's there. There's there's lots of good stuff in there. So, uh, it, it, uh, always go back and recover old ground. We could, but <laughs> I think it'd be more fun to switch into canons for, you know, 2023. I, th oh. I think we're, we're getting to that. Point. Cover absolutely everything and then get to the factory and then uh, pointedly move on. Skip. I, I, I do hope you're ready for the third law episodes because there's no way we fit all of this into three hours. Oh, well, uh, yeah, there's no way we can do all the series. Uh, yeah. uh, and almost any canons, almost no canons worth their salt can be done in one episode. So we'll just plan on doing more than one episode for each can, I think. <clears throat> plan to me. A planning, if you yeah. will. And even if you won't, especially if you won't. Uh, yeah, so uh, the Twitter for the show, if you want to pay attention to what shows, you know, what we're playing on doing and maybe send in some emails, uh, the Twitter is at SimCreates, which is S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T, and mine is at Gregory Carpin. And mine is at Harry Blank, S-C-P. Oh, and mine is uh, at M-T-B-A-D-E. Empty bed. Uh, empty bed. Uh, although, given that Twitter may not even be... Given that next year <laughs> I know. have Twitter, uh, I'm also on co-host uh, under the same handle. So, can't post there right now, but, you know. Yeah, I'm on everything um, yeah. at Gregory Carpin, so... I am everywhere. I don't know. That's right. Uh, and our email, which is not going anywhere, uh, is simplycreativepeople at gmail.com. So feel free to reach out. And, you know, I mean, honestly, you know, it's, it's really awesome if you want to write emails about our specific soda really is. So we would take, we would totally take emails about just, you know, anything fandom related or SCP related. Go nuts. Yeah, you want to hear weird people say your words out loud? Send us an email. Exactly. You want to hear it like delivered in the sultry tones of a radio host? You can get Gregory to read it, and you want to hear it delivered yes. in a bizarrely overdramatic monologue? I'll do it. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, you know, if you want to support the show, uh, visit our show page, or uh, these are either one of our co-fives. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you for listening. Uh, sorry, it's been a little bit since the last episode, uh, though we will be doing another episode hopefully this weekend. So. Whoop whoop! Oh, exciting. Barry. Yeah. We're going to do another horror episode with this drone. Excellent. Such a good time. My first one was fantastic. And this was also yeah. fantastic. So thanks again, GW. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you for having me on. It's always great to. The, the first times I've been here, it's always been great. To be <laughs> it's always been great. Well, you, it, it was great both times for us as well. I'm or you wouldn't was have been asked back. Glad it was good for you. <laughs> it was good for me too. All right. Well, uh, looking forward to doing another one of these in a year. 